When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's a probably a medical term or a proper term, but Billy is a nugget person. <laughs> Billy does not. <laughs> I'm not sure if that was the proper term, but. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the Second Big Comics Podcast. You're probably sensing a theme here the last couple weeks, and uh, I can tell you that it was not coordinated. But hey, when it comes to ninja content, we gotta deliver it somehow. Are Samurai's ninjas? I don't, I, don't, I don't really know. There's probably a big nerd schism about whether you can call Samurai's ninjas or ninja Samurai's. Anyway, we're going Japanese. I mean, we're going Japanese. I really think so. Welcome back to Second Print Comics. I am Remzo Martinez with the always wonderful Mr. Mark Claire. Mark, I can't call Samurai Japanese. No, I can't. Well, of course they're Japanese. I can't call Samurai Ninja nor can you call a ninja samurai, but we can definitely say that we're definitely jumping into a lot of East meets West themes going on with last week's episode covering the 90s version of Valiant's Ninjak with Joe Quesada. And now this week we are covering Ronin by Frank Miller. So none of this is coordinated. It just fantastically finds a way to, uh, you know, to, to come about in these patterns when we have these things planned. Well, Remzo, I'm going to hit you hard and fast with knowledge right here today. I'm just going to get right to it. Shoot. As you were speaking, as you were doing your little monologue there, I looked up what is the difference between ninja and samurai. So are you ready? This is according to HowStuffWorks.com, which uh, as far as I'm concerned is as reputable as uh, you know WikiLeaks or something, Wikipedia. Uh, samurais were warriors who usually belonged to noble classes of Japanese society. Ninjas were trained as assassins and mercenaries and usually belonged to the lower classes of Japanese society. So actually, samurais and ninjas were quite different. They were quite, they're different classes. Samurais used swords and uh, had noble, sort of noble ways, noble fighting skills, whereas ninjas were really doing the down and dirty uh, trickery and such. So not only have I been factually incorrect about everything from the past couple minutes, Minutes, but I'm also uh, probably offending a lot of people because I referenced a very, I don't know if this was like a 60s or 70s song. Have you ever heard? I think I'm turning it's Japanese. Have that was 80s? Yes. <laughs> okay, well, you know, that song's obviously not appropriate, but I don't think the people here care about whether or not I'm making, uh, you know, jokes at another culture's expense. I certainly hope not. This is... Uh, 
No, I, and I think and I think I have a lot of leverage over our listeners, especially thanks to a recent Second Print Comics poll. We'll talk we'll talk about this briefly because God knows this could be a whole other show. Uh, the cat eats the oh, I'm God. sorry, the bat eats the cat gate. <laughs> this is how um, we make we did a poll. People forget about your uh, blatant racism against the Japanese. Yeah, hashtag the bat eats the cat. Uh, with the whole debacle regarding the cutscene from Harley Quinn season two, where Batman performs a sexual act on Catwoman, to which uh, I think it was Warner Brothers basically said, "Heroes don't do that." Everyone has <laughs> basically they united really said? to basically, do they, yeah, they literally said, "Heroes don't oh, do heroes that." Do to which that, every, my friends. heroes he, definitely do that. He, heroes got to do what a hero's got to do. So everyone in the universe is just looking at them, and they're just like. Yeah, no, he would he would do that. So we went ahead and put out a poll in the Second Brick Comics fan zone, which you could join over on Patreon. It's our uh, Facebook exclusive group for Patreon supporters at the five dollar level or above. I simply asked our humble fans, would Batman go down on Catwoman? To which everybody who voted within a minute, I think it's our most engaged, our least controversial poll as well, (laughs) our least controversial poll, everybody Everybody voted yes. Whoever thought that what would bring the Second Print Nation together would be the subject of whether the bat would eat the cat. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is this is the Snyder Cut, released the Snyder Cut of a new generation, apparently, for all these, for, for all these uh, new comic book fans and superhero aficionados. I mean, this is... Uh, I, I was... Okay, I'll, I'll go ahead and spill some, some quick inside news. I was speaking to a former colleague from the Washington Times, and... Uh, he r- was writing a story about this whole thing that was going on, especially since Val Kilmer jumped in and basically said, yes, Batman would go down <laughs> on Catwoman. And uh, the story got shot down by several of the editors at the same time, because apparently it was peddling graphic sexual content to which I, you know, responded to him. This might be the only story that is able to unite most of America right now. Yeah. America is indeed. United. Agree. At least the second print nation is. If nothing else, the second print nation is strong and united knowing that Batman would in fact do what needs to be done for Catwoman. That's about all there is to say about that. But either way, I think it was a pretty good deflection from the, uh, the, uh, you know, overgeneralizing of Japanese culture to start things off. So well done. You, you know, I, I tried to do that, but maybe the next thing we could do is try and bribe people. Speaking of bribery, that I can do Mark. You had something you wanted to go ahead and let our listeners know. I would like to let my listeners know my listeners, our listeners. I apologize uh, for claiming them as my own United. <laughs> damn it. I assume they're here for me and they stick around for you. We, um, but uh, we. as listeners know, whoever's whoever's listeners, they are. Uh, I have been going through my Tales from the Fuck It Pile. It's a Patreon show I do. Of course, the Fuck It Pile is the box of comics that I've found at the stash in Connecticut. It's a box of comics. I'm not sure how I chose what went in there or what. I don't remember what my teenage mind was thinking. Before, and I was very meticulous about my comics. I always bagged and boarded everything. But I have one little box where it's just a bunch of random comics. No bags, no boards. I called it, well, actually, you dubbed it my Fuck It Pile. Uh, so I brought a stack of those home, and I have been going through them for our patreon bonus show called tales from the fucking pile and the first two uh episodes of that are where i looked at extreme sacrifice number one and number two it's really a prologue and an epilogue to a a big extreme studios rob liefeld mega ultra 90s superhero crossover and uh i'm not gonna reveal how i felt about those books you gotta go onto the patreon to, to find out about that but i am going to say this to our very next patron that signs up 
the very first patron to sign up after this airs, or even before it airs, whatever. Because uh, I, I did mention this on Twitter the other day. So, so, we make the rules here. <laughs> exactly. Fuck it. We'll do it live. Uh, we'll receive my personal editions of Extreme Sacrifice number one and two mailed directly to your house, cur- courtesy of Second Print Comics. So if that's not incentive, I really don't know what is. We're just men of the people, Mark. We just give them what they want. Just like Batman. I will continue to go through the fucking pile, and I will continue to give issues away to new patrons as well. I would like to say to our current patrons listening, I will also apply this to uh, upgrades, to Patreon-level upgrades. So this applies to current patrons as well. You up, you up your level, you'll, 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 if you're the first one to do that before a new sign-up, you'll, you'll get Extreme Sacrifice number one and two. But I will say, even people, you know, if, if you're the second person or the third person, uh, you know, in the next week or so, and you're all trying to get these hot-off-the-press Extreme Sacrifice editions, uh, I will put you in the queue. So as I go through the fucking pile, I'll put you on the list to, uh, to get the next one and the next one. So we'll, we'll keep these going for a while. You see, people, just like Batman, Mark is a giver. <laughs> 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 I'm just going to leave that there. But it's true. It's accurate. Uh, well, on to uh, darker and grittier things. We have touched on the works of Frank Miller in the past. We covered uh, his 300 limited series a couple months back. We've talked about him in terms of his influence on Batman when discussing anything related to the Zack Snyder Justice League and Batman vs. Superman, Donna Justice films. Uh, this is one of those stories that I'm surprised not more people knew about. And I have been a critic of some of Frank Miller's artwork. He's just not my type of artist. And in terms of his stories, you know, people have universally agreed that he's one of the better comic book writers of the latter 20th century. But some of it is not always you know, for everybody. But we all kind of agree that he's a great um, writer. This story that we're covering today, Frank Miller's Ronin, is probably the one exception to all of that. I have yet to meet a person that really didn't like the story nor the art, myself included. This is my big exception to my Frank Miller rule when it comes to all of that. And this was a story that uh, came out in, I think, 87, 88, right before the time of uh, The Dark Knight Returns and everything else. And Mark, I found out that you had not read this prior to planning this episode. Yeah, believe it or not, this is just one of those books. I'm sure we all have a few of them. One of those books I've always known about. Uh, I've, I've pretty much enjoyed many of Frank Miller's works, I, I would say. Uh, and it's one of those books I've always been like, oh, I should get around to reading that sometime. Uh, I think I even had it like in my Hoopla Barrows for a while, just sitting there like, oh, I'll read this soon, uh, even before you brought it up to do on the show. And I just never got to it. Uh, I can't really say why. It's just one of those books I've always intended to read and just never did. And... Another great thing about doing this podcast is it does push me to read some things that maybe I who knows when I would have gotten around to this thing. Uh, but I'm I'm glad I finally did. So I finally know what all the uh, all the hype, all the hubbub, all the fuss is about. And uh, yeah, we can discuss that today. Absolutely, I love the series because it was as you know myths and lore have told us the inspiration for Samurai Jack, which was one of my favorite uh, cartoons on Cartoon never Network as a kid. You've never seen Samurai yeah, Jack. Oh man, it it's good. It's good. Uh, you know, I'm I'm also a big fan of like those black and white. Uh, they're, they're called sword and sandal 
films from post-World War II Japan. They were coming out around the same time as like Godzilla and the Kaiju films. It's when, you know, the lore of the samurai was really making its way across to like Western audiences. And, um, you know, you, you've got some amazing actors like uh, uh, to- Toyo Mif- uh, Mifune, uh, who was in like almost all the samurai and Ronin style films at the time. I think he was in Seven Deadly Samurai, 47 Ronin, the... the 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 lost fort or something like that. Tom then Root. there was Tom Castle Cruise. of Blood. The last samurai. The last <laughs> samurai. Uh, so I mean, I, I've always had a special place in my heart for these for these films, despite the fact that I just totally screwed up Samurai and Ninja, and then threw out a song that's probably canceled by now. But uh, I liked the story. In fact, I I read it in high school. And when I wanted to go ahead and do this for the show, I wanted to own a copy. In fact, this is, the, this is one of the only two graphic novels I brought with me here to Wisconsin. I grabbed this from Painted Vision Comics in Leesburg, Virginia. This was the last one they had on their rack. So I knew that this was a story that I had to talk about on the show, but I also had to own it. So without further ado, you ready to go? I'm ready. Okay. So we're on to issue one. Um what we see is that this is this is different from some of the more modern Frank Miller stuff. What I call this is, uh, you know, like young Miller. It's like right around the time that he's finishing off on Wolverine. You see that his characters have a lot more distinguishing features. It's not as, you know, as scratchy as like, you know, the Dark Knight Strikes Again and stuff like that. So right now, you know that this is Frank Miller, but this is a very different type of Frank Miller book. Like usual, he's writing and drawing it. So what we see is that the samurai and his young apprentice are out. They're going and they're um, uh, they're they're paying their respects to some old shrine, and you know, out of nowhere, these three ninjas jump out and just attack them. And we don't really know what more is going on other than the fact that these guys are just having a day out in the town, you know, praying to some shrines and stuff. And next, you know, they are attacked and there's very little dialogue. As soon as this jumps in, uh, it's just Frank Miller badassery up front. We see the one samurai just jumps through like the crowd of ninjas that are leaping towards him and he cuts one guy in half and you just see like blood spattering everywhere. And then, you know, the samurai master is yelling at his apprentice and he's like, what, what are you doing, man? Like, don't just stand there and stare at your sword and stuff like that. Go after them. So then what the, what, well, we know he's the Ronin. What the apprentice does is he throws his sword and it goes through one of the other ninjas. And it looks really freaking awesome. And th- then the samurai master is like, boy, you threw away your sword? And at this point, you know, it's no longer, oh, he looks really badass. It's, oh, he actually did something, which is kind of a dumb idea. Because one ninja goes and gets like this chain mace, you know, scorpion from Mortal Kombat thing and wraps it around him and pulls him. And then the samurai master Samurais. has to come out and They're, save oh, him no, these by might be ninjas. cutting. Maybe you were accurate. I was yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The ninja was attacking the samurai. Anyway, the, bucket, the, bucket the master comes over. The buckethead ninjas. Anyway, the samurai master has to come over and cut off the guy's head. So at this point, um, uh, you know, the the apprentice is just like, oh, my gosh. He, instead of talking about how he just got saved and how he threw his sword away and stuff, he's admiring his master and his ability to cut like no other. And he's like, a lovely cut, my lord. The tales do not do justice to the elegance of your stroke. And then the master's like, keep your compliments, my boy. Look at the sword. And basically what we see as we zoom in on the sword and the panels is that the blood is actually like absorbing into the metal. And the samurai master's like, look out and see, look and see how it drinks the blood. Blood. And long story short, 
he stole this from a demon. The demon's name was a god, and he stole it from him early in his years when he was just a reckless young samurai. And basically, the reason why he is so skilled with it is because he wields it much like an appendage of his body and less like a weapon because this is magical and it drinks the blood of its enemies, but it only takes the blood of an innocent to make the sword potent enough to destroy the demon. So that's the thing about it. It's like one day the demon's got to come back and this powerful weapon won't be able to do anything because like a Faustian bargain for the sword to actually fight the demon, it demands kind of like a offering of innocent blood. So that's, that's what they're kind of waiting for. So they basically uh, stop talking and they end up going up to this club in some city. It looks like some type of like strip club and everyone's just kind of hanging around and the old master's kind of a perv and he's like, Oh, look at that one. She's pretty. Isn't that she? doesn't make him a perv. <laughs> well, I just mean, he's a, an old red blooded samurai, you know? Yes, he's a red-blooded samurai. Regardless of your age, you can always admire women. But anyway, he's like trying to get his young apprentice, who's like this noble knight-errand type of guy, to comment. And he's just like um, sitting there and doing nothing. And some of the other samurai masters are like making fun of him and stuff. And they're like, ah, your words are wasted on the boy, Lord Azaki. That's the samurai master. Uh, he isn't interested in women. So now they're just making fun of him, you know, calling him names and stuff. And the guy's like, are you boy? And the guy is like, I live for my master. He is my life. So he's basically just being a good samurai apprentice. And, um, at this point, the one stripper and this stripper is like, you know, one, you always gotta be very cautious of redheads Two, She's also got green skin, which if you know me, you know, I like she Hulk, but this is kind of like, you know, a little bit, uh, my odd obsession with she Hulk. Um, this is just kind of out there, you know, redhead and green skin stripper, like something's not going well. So basically she's just like, Hey, uh, um, how about we go ahead and, you know, train for the rest of the night? Basically, you want to you want to pay for an air for an hour, buddy. So the, the master goes ahead and takes the stripper and they're going to go, you know, conduct business. And then the others are just going ahead and making fun of um, the, the apprentice. And he's like, I must not leave my lord unattended. And the others are just making fun of him. They're like, you'd be no help in this matter, boy. So they go out, they're doing their thing. And next, you know, like a minute later, you start hearing this screaming and it's the samurai master. So the apprentice runs in. He's like, my lord, my lord. And next thing you know, we see that the samurai master has had his throat slit by the demon Agat. And Agat looks like this giant, muscular. He's like Mike Tyson in his prime, <laughs> but demonic. And he looks scary as shit. Demon Mike Tyson. That's a good one. At this point, he's just like, I took my sharp finger, poked a little hole right in the back of his head. I mean, we just see blood everywhere. And he's like, and the mighty Lord Ozaku died just like that. He didn't have his sword, though. But you know where it is, don't you, my pretty young samurai? So basically, um, you know, Agat has come back to claim his sword. So, you know, at this point, this, the young samurai attacks Agat, but Agat's just not playing with him, and he doesn't just want to kill him. So at this point, he kind of just throws him down, and uh, as the other samurais come in, Agat turns into a, like a 
eagle crow type of thing. I mean, the, the artwork here makes it really ambiguous to what it is, but basically the idea is everyone is being blinded by the light of a god's power, and a god has basically uh, flown off. But while before he does that, he like you know cuts uh, the master's eye one more time. And oh no no that's not the master. Uh, he he cuts the, the the young apprentice's eye, so he basically leaves him with like this ugly scar. And uh, at this point, the young apprentice is like, "I will never forget this." So days later, he goes to the grave of his master, Lord Azaku, and he's basically like, "My shame is deep. My choice is simple: to wander the land dishonored and masterless, a ronin." Or to pray to all the gods to forget for, for forgiveness and offer my life as payment. So basically, he's saying I'm either going to be a masterless samurai ronin, or I'm going to commit the ancient Japanese um, suicide ritual known as seppuku in order to basically, you know, ask for forgiveness for his transgressions, which is really not his fault. Like he wanted to stay with his master, but his master was obviously just wanting to get laid. And the others were just like, you don't want to see this guy. He was the only one that was on to something off being on. He's like, I don't know, man, I shouldn't just leave him alone. I'm going to you know, stand outside where I, I, all the other samurai guys are like, oh, he just needs to get laid, you know, whatever. But he, he was literally, he should have nothing to feel bad about. Really? It's a samurai thing though, I guess, you know? Yeah, those those pesky samurai rituals uh, right before the Ronin's literally about to kill himself. The statue starts talking and it's the spirit of Lord Azaki. And he's like the sword boy. A god will return for it. It must be gone. And you with it. Rome, live like a dog. Let this trial hone your spirit and your fighting skills. When you are a mighty warrior, avenge my murder and let my soul rest. Then you may join me. So basically what he has to do is he has to locate where the sword was that his master had right before he went to the strip club and all that <laughs> stuff. And he has to use it to kill a god. But remember, in order for him to do that, though, the sword must taste the blood of an innocent person. Think about that for later. And at this point, the samurai is basically drifting off and we're, we zoom in on his eyes. But then something changes because we go from the eyes of the ronin to the eyes of some guy. And this is where we're introduced to Billy Chalice. Before we get to Billy, Mark, just this whole section, they've jumped straight into the action. They jump straight into the crux of the story. We've seen some pretty unique Frank Miller art. What are your thoughts leading up to here? Well, I, I purposely went into this without knowing much about the story. Like for years, I've just heard about ronin. Obviously, I knew it had something to do with samurai stuff, but that was the extent of my knowledge about this. So uh, when the story first started off, I was like, OK, this is a pretty cool samurai story here. I like the setup here. But then uh, we got kind of jumped into this other place suddenly. So then I started to realize, oh, this is this is about something else. But just for that that first section there, um, what really struck me the most um, is like I, I, you know, I'm on and off with Frank Miller's art. He just has a style. You kind of have to like the style or not like the style. I think I often like it more than I don't like it, but I don't know. Sometimes I find it, you know, just too lacking of detail or sometimes there's just something that doesn't doesn't really wow me, you know, as much as his writing often does. But in this circumstance, I really enjoyed the art here. Like I thought the, the art and Frank Miller's style and I think the coloring has a lot to do with it, too. I think that the coloring specifically in this book, how it meshes with Frank Miller's style. Um, to me, this is some of his best artwork or at least at least it just feels just so perfectly fitting. And this is really true of, of a lot of Frank Miller's work. It's like his his artistic style is specifically 
catered to the types of writing that he does. Uh, like his style wouldn't necessarily work with a lot of other writing styles. Uh, but in this case, I, I think his this is just some of the best Frank Elder Mar- Miller art that I, I've ever seen in, in any of his work. So I was just really stunned, really pulled in. Um, and then once things took that little turn and I realized, oh, this is not just a straight up samurai story. This is something much, much different. Uh, there's a sci-fi element here, too. Uh, it just pulled me in even more. So I, I was pretty much in this from the beginning. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. I mean, this the whole tone, uh, it's this is one of the few examples of which I'll say this is the one time where I'm like the writer should definitely draw the art. And Frank Miller is probably one of the few people that can get away with that. I know that was my criticism for 300. But this book, as I mentioned earlier, is a big exception to that rule. But anyway, we're in the future and we're meeting Billy Chalas. Um, Billy is in the future and I don't know how to describe Billy. I know that there's a probably a medical term or a proper term, but Billy is a nugget person. <laughs> Billy does not. <laughs> I'm not sure if I didn't that say was that. the proper term, but <laughs> I didn't say it to be mean. I'm just saying that Billy has no arms or legs. I don't think we're legs. making fun of anybody real because I don't think anyone is born like this in real life. I mean, I guess it must happen some point in the course of human history. We're going to, we're going to get the one person who was uh, born without, who was born without arms and legs. And they're who, gonna whose be like, only joy bastards. is, is when their mom puts the, their ear pods in to listen to second print comics each and every week. And then they get crushed by, by you this calling them. My a only person. reason for living. <laughs> it was. I mean, he, he does like, he's, Okay, maybe if he had hair, I wouldn't be calling him that. But he's also bald, and you know how I feel about the balds. So anyway, Billy... I mean, it's accurate. It paints the image. He looks just like a, a little round, yeah, nugget. <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's a nugget yeah. person. So anyway, Billy is a nugget person, and <laughs> he lives in a place called... <laughs> Billy is a nugget person and Billy is in the future and Billy lives in a place called the Aquarius complex. We'll talk about that in a second, but Billy wakes up from this dream by an AI called Virgo and Virgo is basically like, you know, um, it's this all sentient computer that basically runs the uh, Aquarius complex. And basically uh, Aquarius wakes up Billy and Billy is like, Hey, you know, I was having a dream about this guy and a sword and this demon and, you know, Aquarius and Virgo is basically just like, Billy, come on. What, what are you talking about? You shouldn't be dreaming. Nugget people don't dream <laughs> something like that. And uh, at this point, they, they turn and they see this TV is showing some crazy nonsense going on outside the Aquarius uh, complex with a tank and stuff. It doesn't and look like a good time Billy. outside of there. It seems like you really want to be inside. Yeah, like this is the safest place for a nugget person. Cannibalism. There's uh, there's fires. There's just. Uh, yeah, it's not a good place. Yeah, Basically, Virgo doesn't let Billy watch the news, which is a probably a good decision because um, as he's curious about the rest of the world, she goes ahead and she's like, fine, whatever, watch it for a minute. And basically, as Mark said, the rest of the world in this dystopian future has just gone to shit. It's filmed with cannibals, civil war. Uh, they're in the future New York. And it's just uh, it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, COVID New York. <laughs> but, you know, less. I mean, there's more cannibalism here than there was in 2020. But a lot more fun than COVID New York. We'll say I'll say that as yeah. someone who was recently in but, COVID but, New York a couple months ago when everything was still shut down. Oh, it oh, was really? not fun. I mean, not not the heart of it, you know, but I was there in, in April when a lot is still closed. And it was it was it's just it doesn't have the it didn't have the life of New, the New York City. I grew up, you know, visiting many times. I can definitely see that. But anyway, we, we go to uh, a two page spread of people just like eating people and like <laughs> fire in the streets. It's it's kind of it's kind of sketchy. And then we go to another double page spread. And this is what you don't really see often. It's a 
it's a continuous double page spread. And I will say that's that's one thing that's kind of lost. And I because I am reading this digitally, thanks to our friends at Hoopla. Uh-huh. You know, you don't get the double page spreads. You get one page and then. Oh, really? Because well, your your book doesn't open all the way. You know, you only have one right. side, you know, like you just have this. So I can I can kind of show you here on the video. It's just this. And then you got to like scroll. To, whoops. It's here and then oh, there. So you, gotta, you can never see the whole thing at once, basically. Man, you get so much detail yeah. from this. Listeners can't see it, but like you could see that. And it just like this is why for this one, it's like I had to have it in print. Uh, those double page spreads here, I mean, it, they, they can't be done justice any other way. But we see the Aquarius Center is basically like built on top of the rubble of New York. And it really looks like Neo Tokyo from uh, I was thinking the exact same thing. I was literally about to say. Yep. I mean, a lot of this, and we'll just pause for a second. A lot of this story, a lot of what influences Frank Miller was done not only from Japanese manga at the time, but also from the French Nouveau movement in the 60s and 70s, um, where they were being very experimental with how they did comic books. They really transcended it from like a medium for kids, mostly, to that of being a true art form for a really radical type of storytelling and artwork for adults. So he saw this that. This is very much for adults, which is maybe why I didn't end this up, is, well, I don't know. I found a lot of stuff that wasn't for wasn't wasn't for me when I was a teenager, so that, that might not be why. But So anyway, we go over uh, into... Uh, the Aquarius complex. And basically we see that this big CEO guy, uh, what's his name? Taggart. Taggart. Yeah. We basically see that Taggart is, um, you know, this big business guy, he basically funds the research and development that's going on at the Aquarius Center. And he's bringing in these guys who are coming in and possibly trying to invest in it. This is where we also meet Casey McKenna. Uh, She's the chief of security. She's also... Actually, this is Learned here. We haven't met Taggart yet. Learned is like Taggart's like a number two kind of. Number two. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, So anyway, um, we... We meet uh, Casey. Casey McKenna is basically the person who's in charge of protecting the Aquarius program. And basically what they're what they're doing is they're guiding these dudes in. And what they're basically saying is that this whole facility is run by an AI called Virgo. Virgo goes ahead and conducts the experiments into basically this realm between technology and radical mutations. Because what is going on is that this whole place is built for one person. And that one person is Bill because Bill, you might look at him and think Bill is a nugget person, but <laughs> Bill is actually one of like the strongest Billy. Bill beings. Billy. Yeah. Billy, Billy, um, has like this power where he's like professor X in a way, but he also has the ability to bend reality. So what they've been doing is they've been testing Billy for years because Billy's mom basically abandoned him because she didn't want to take care of a nugget kid. He's like professor X meets Wanda meets a nugget. (laughs) Basically, (laughs) basically. Yeah. So, so what you basically see is that he's able to actually create limbs out of like thin air from other materials and he could be extremely dangerous. He can create so many things with his mind and they're just trying to figure out how to do it. But in order to keep him basically from like going crazy and shit like this, uh, Virgo goes ahead and basically always has a way of, you know, deactivating him. And, and, and Billy's kind of pissed at this demonstration because, uh, like, uh, learning, 
Hornet, the guy giving the tour here, he kind of acts like it's just Virgo doing this. Uh, but once he leaves, then you see Bill, Billy all pissed. He's like, well, this, what's, this is bullshit. He was acting like anybody could just do this. Like, you could just put these things on anybody, but it's me. It's like, it's special. I, so you, you already see that, like, Billy is upset with how he's not being treated as special as he knows he is. Yeah, and, and Billy is treated more like a product than he is a person. So we see that he's able to create these limbs. He's able to do all these crazy things. But then out of nowhere, Virgo can just go ahead and deactivate him. And then he goes back to just being a defenseless nugget person. (laughs) Even worse, when he complains, she goes ahead and puts out like this knockout gas on him. And she's just like, come on, Billy, just go back to sleep now. So now after that demonstration, she goes ahead and gasses him because he had an opinion. And, you know, the nugget person can't have an opinion. And uh, they knock him out. So he ends up dreaming again. And now we're back to the realm of the Ronin. So the Ronin is walking in the middle of the storm, and then suddenly um, we see that this woman holding a baby comes out, and uh, you know at this point uh, she's she's trapped in the storm. It's cold, and then those like buckethead ninjas come out, and uh, they're about to do some nasty shit. I mean, at one point they like toss the kid down, and they're about to like rape the woman and all this other stuff. And you know the Ronin comes over, and he's like, ah, now this this ain't happening today. And uh, he goes and basically kills the bad guys by cutting off their heads. And what I love about this is that this is one of those real like moments where it's like show, don't tell. It's a full page where you basically just see like a couple of words where they're just like Ronin. And next, you know, they lunge at him and out of nowhere, like in a samurai film, he just like swings his sword. And in the next panel, you see their heads just fly clean off. And it's freaking awesome. I actually like too that it's not... It's not really graphic, you know, like like there is there are graphic elements later in the story, but we just see the sword swinging. We see it. You see that it's turned red and we see the buckets flying. We don't actually see all the blood and gore and we don't need to. It's actually perfect. It's perfectly done. Yeah, it's just one of those moments where it's like this is a show don't tell story and Miller understands that. Uh, but anyway, the Ronin goes ahead and tells the woman here, we're going to go ahead and start a fire. So they go over there and she's basically telling him their story that she cheated on her husband, gave birth to another man's child. So he went ahead and cast her out because he was not about to have that shit. So at this point, uh, she's trying to get to know him and she's like, so uh, are you not without purpose, Ronin? And he's like, 15 years have passed since I got the demon slew my lord. And apparently the the reason why they were all there is because Agat's castle is apparently nearby. So that's why everyone was kind of near it because she needed shelter. She didn't know it was for a demon and he wants to go kill Agat. So they all just happened to be on the same road. So anyway, he's like 15 years have passed since Agat slew my Lord. I've learned, I've used this time to learn and master Budo, the arts of combat. And many duels have allowed me to, you know, basically perfect my style um, but the thing is, with this sword, I will kill a god. And then we hear like the voice of uh, the the master, and he's like, "Boy, have you forgot?" And the woman's just like, "Is that a freaking ghost?" And uh, you know, Rowan is just like, "Yeah, but don't resist it. It's it's my lord, Azaki." And next, you know, we look in the fire and we see the ghost of the lord, and he's like, "There will never be boy unless you you are smartened and remember the blood of evil men empowers the sword against a god's magic. Yes, but it takes a good man's blood to destroy the demon. And in your travels, all your bad." You've yet to cut an innocent. So next, you know, the Ronin's like, yeah, my lord, don't worry. At dawn, the sword drinks deep. So at this point, the woman is freaking out. She's like, what? What? Ronin? No, not my baby. So she's freaking out that that the Ronin saved them only so that he could kill the baby to 
kill a guy. But their own is just like, nah, don't worry about that. He's not big enough and you're not innocent enough. Go to sleep. <laughs> that is some metal stuff right there. Yeah, I, I was ready for him to take the baby out right there, to be honest, but wasn't wasn't meant to be. I don't think it's that type of story. <laughs> you never know, man. It's Frank Miller. I didn't know what to expect. Well, things are about to get really weird uh, because the next day they wake up and the Ronin basically finds this giant noble rat warrior. He's a he's a giant rat with three, four arms. He's a he's a he's a big mofo. And he's been fighting all these like demons and bad ninjas who have been trying to find him. And the Ronin comes over and the rat person's just like, Stranger, what do you want? And he's basically just like, um, I I think I'm gonna have to like fight you to get through. So basically he's one of like Agat's minions, I guess. They don't they don't really go into detail about this. He seems to be like the guardian of the castle, essentially. Yeah, he's like the Minotaur of the Maze or some shit like that. But he's a giant forearmed rat person. And uh, the Ronin basically gets through and he cuts off his limbs and he's just like cutting the shit out of him. And then for a full page, you just see them fighting each other. And for a moment, you think the rat person has him down. But next thing you know, what the Ronin does is he breaks his spear in half and then like spear throws it through the rat person's face and it's it's pretty metal so at that point he, he's killed the rat person okay and he gets into the into the castle and at this point he's just like you know no matter what you do man you're poorly advised my soul my soul touches the sword it tastes it i know it is not properly fed and you will and it will destroy you but don't have to worry about it so what ends up happening is that um you know the the ronin thinks i'm sorry i got thinks that the ronin hasn't gone through with anything so he's gone ahead and pulled him close and tricked him so what the ronin does is he realizes that he can be the innocent person so what he ends up doing is as a guy is grabbing him and toying around with him he stabs a got by stabbing himself so he pulls it through him and it's a it's a cool it's a badass panel it's fucking Metal. I really love the, how they use like a cha- the change in colors here. You know, they have one set of kind of like yellowy brownish colors in this scene where, uh, you know, a god is just kind of like toying with the Ronin, holding the Ronin. And then right when you go to the next page, suddenly the whole background becomes red. And then you see the, the blood as the sword goes through a god. Uh, it's just, I, it's continuing to stand out to me how much the use of colors and different colors and changing colors is so integra- integral to the art here. That was all because I wanted to use the word integral. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, every every comic that you basically see, especially these days, it has a very distinct palette that you see throughout the issues, uh, usually as long as the artist is consistent. And here, it's, it, that's not the case at all, and it's really cool. So anyway, um, because he was the innocent that he decided to sacrifice, he's trapped in the soul, and his soul is trapped through the ages. Lynn Varley is the colorist, and I believe she has done a lot of Frank Miller's work. I know that she was there for The Dark Knight Returns. I definitely know that. Um, But anyway, uh, the Ronin kills a got, dies as a result, and next thing you know, as he's drifting off and dying... uh, Billy wakes up from his dream and he's like the sword. I've been trapped in the sword for so long, trapped with a got hating, hurting, fighting, dying forever. And, and he wakes up and, you know, Virgo's just yelling at him. She's like, Billy. And, you know, Billy is just freaking out. He's like, Virgo, what does all this mean? And Virgo's just like, I, I don't know, Billy, I'm calculating. And he's just like, but you know everything. I'm scared. And um, uh, basically what she's, 
what Virgo's trying to do is convince him that, uh, you know, he saw it on TV, he saw it in some type of video, and that because of that, he's thinking about it in his dreams. It's like, you know, dude, you, you saw a couple things on TV, and now you're thinking about it, and you're just obsessing about it. It means nothing, so don't worry about it. But Billy's just like, no, like, I, it's like I know this person. It's like something, for some reason, you know, he's calling out to me. What if his soul through all these years, has somehow found me? What if he wants me, my body? I mean, but why me? Is it because I could do all these things with my mind? I could be more receptive? And if the Rodin found me, wouldn't a got find somebody else? And wouldn't he go after the guy who killed him? And at this point, Virgo's just like, don't, come on, Billy, what's going on? But something happens. Um, There's this giant alarm that goes off and Virgo's just like, Billy, don't panic. I'll check on the guards. And as she goes to the screen, what the hell does she see? She sees a god killing the guards. And he looks through the camera at Billy and starts taunting him. Oh, no, that, that's uh, it, it's not. OK, I got this part wrong. It's not a got yelling at Billy. It's Virgo looking back at Billy. And what she keep and what she starts saying is that. Um, uh, Billy, something's going on with your face. It's starting to look like whatever that Ronin guys is. So Billy is like freaking out because he's starting to think, OK, something's happening to me. Something's going on. And God is here to kill me. Uh, hopefully the lasers will stop him. So basically, for the next page, Agat is basically going through the Aquarius complex as Casey is trying to command everybody and try and figure out what the hell is going on. And he's trying to kill everybody. In fact, he ends up going through several different layers of the building and he's just destroying shit. And he's just screaming, Ronan, there you are in that womb, but you have defenses, magic of your own this time. And he's just tearing shit up like he is not someone you want to screw with. At this point, though, something happens to Billy because as he's freaking out, his body is starting to change and he's grabbing chunks and parts of the wall and everything else. And he's creating new new arms. But this time they're not like the big robot arms. It's like they're fusing. And it's a crazy image of him. Just basically, it looks like he's just rewriting his own DNA. nugget. And as a. Yeah, I mean he's well, he's a nugget no more because as soon as uh, as soon as a got comes down, there's this giant explosion, and we we go to another double page spread, and there's this. I mean, basically, you think that the Aquarius complex is destroyed, so somehow a got and a whole bunch of people, uh, you know, they they get basically sunk into the floor, into the sewers, and at this point, we see a whole bunch of like you know sewer people. They're out here and they're looking around and next thing you know, they go to the source of the explosion and what they see isn't Billy. They see the Ronin with cybernetic arms and he looks scary as shit. And that's the end of issue one. Completely sucked me in on so many levels. I was sucked in, like I said, when I thought it was just a samurai story at first, and then we we go to the you know this futuristic element, and then the whole time I'm just trying to trying to figure out what exactly is going on here, which is a theme of this book. Really, it's only until the end when you really start to figure out where you really do figure out what's going on. Uh, but just as as far as the setup here, um, I, I was so sucked in. I was sucked into the samurai world. I was sucked into the futuristic world, and before I even knew it, I mean, in my mind, these were going to be like parallel stories that that kind of went along each other at first but no they completely emerged uh before we even got to the end of book one and uh yeah i'm 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 totally in at this point 
Yeah. And, and I mean, that last page where it's like, it's the Ronin, but you know, it's Billy because he's got like these metal shards, like sticking out of him, almost like armor at certain points. So it's like, you know, it's the Ronin, but you also know it's Billy. And, and like at this point, anything is on the table. So we start book two, um, basically the Ronin or Billy, we'll just call him the Ronin for now. Um, he's breaking out of the sewer and he's got like, you know, metal knuckles and stuff and his fingers they look like human fingers but you can tell that these are all cybernetic this is billy something happened he literally created a body from scraps to look human and he's almost there and it's like for all these new perfections it's like he still has the details of the ronin i mean you can see in one panel he still has the scar so this is this is weird um at this point you've got uh casey um and her security detail, they're going around trying to get the, uh, you know, energy back on. They're trying to figure out what's happening. And then they realize that Billy is missing and Virgo is down and, and they just have no clue what's going on. So um, do, 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 do. We, we go to another double page spread. Basically, that explosion at the Aquarius Center caused all of New York to lose power. So Billy is back out on the street and he's just walking around. He's grabbed some, he grabs some clothes because he can't look like Arnie from Terminator, just walking around naked. So next thing you know, um, he's walking uh, down to this church, and you've got all these people who, you know, they, they look homeless. You've got this, like, creepy nun who's trying to help people, I guess, and uh, give them food. So basically all these people around here, um, you know, looking at him because they're just like, he's not a regular homeless person. He's not from around here. And the nun is trying to be nice to him and everything. But, you know, everyone around him, they're like being super racist. They're like they're calling him a chink. They're calling him like super racist terms and stuff. And at the one point, this one angry homeless person comes over and she shoves the Ronin's face into a bowl of soup. But the Ronin's not going to fight back. Uh, why? We don't quite know yet. So at one point, one of like the guards comes by and they're like, you better, you, you better scoot. Now, I mean, some of these terms, like they're like, I thought, Nippo. you know, I had Chink never heard was, that one before. Yeah. Like I thought, I know that chink is offensive. Like, you know, my, my, have my family's Korean. I know that's bad, but some of the other stuff like that is just like, they got creative with the racism here. And Frank uh, Miller's at this creative point, racism. On the next second print comic. Yeah, like if you want me to know that the world of like cannibal New York is kind of shitty, you did a good job. So basically, uh, we're back at the Aquarius Center, and uh, essentially, Casey's trying to figure out what happened to Billy. And basically, Virgo explains that Billy has been having these fantasies about a Ronin and the magical sword, but somehow this demon from his dreams turned out to be real and attacked everyone. So what Billy did was he built legs and arms, and at this <laughs> point, he's basically turned himself into the Some Ronin. Some story to explain, man. Yeah. And Casey's just like, you know, rolling with all of it. And she's just like, okay, I guess this can happen now. So at this point, um, you know, Billy goes from like, you know, the soup kitchen down to like this angry mutant biker club. And he starts arm wrestling a person who challenged him because you always got challenged the new guy. And uh, he basically crushes his hands and that causes a whole fight. So next thing you know, what ends up happening is Ronan, you know, he starts like cutting people's heads off and shit like that. Everyone's kind of like freaking out. And uh, at one point he gets shot by this other guy, but they turn around and he basically lives because this isn't just a normal person. 
This is Billy, the giant magic nugget person who's turned into <laughs> an ancient robot samurai, because that totally makes sense now. So the fighting just goes on for pages and pages. And you want to talk about color scheme, Mark, as you pointed out earlier, it completely changes here because it is dark and bloody. It is red and white and black all and, over. And this scene, too, like the red of the Ronin's little like blanket or whatever it is that he's wearing really stands in stark contrast to everything else we see here color wise. Uh, like th- this is just, again, I'll, I'm probably going to sound like a broken record here but the colors just continue to astound me the, the use of the colors here it's really i mean when we grade the art later i think we got to factor lynn lynn varley into this because her coloring is just essential to this yeah i mean it's it's phenomenal but at the end of the battle we see that basically he gets ganged up on too much and he's basically like left for dead and uh, it's almost like, did he really lose? Well, he did kind of lose because he's left outside. He's been stripped naked and everything else except for like his boxers because they're not going to leave somebody out nude like that. They have some standards. And as he's crawling back, he keeps calling for somebody named Tachi. Um, I don't think we know who Tachi is yet. Do we know who Tachi is yet? Why is why is Ronan asking for Tachi? Oh, I know. I know now. The Tachi is the sword. Oh, Tachi is the sword. So so basically he, he's just out there in like the worst part of the city. Now we're back um, to Casey and Casey is trying to learn more about Agat and everything else. So now she's trying to just understand who Billy is more. And basically this whole time, she's just trying to understand, like, how could all of this happen? And basically the whole purpose of the Aquarius project is to prevent another Armageddon. So they're willing to go ahead and keep a lot of stuff from a lot of people, including Casey. Casey is trying to uh you know figure out what's going on and that's just not you know she's getting frustrated that she can't figure out more so at this point um you know we are introduced to taggart her husband ex-husband uh taggart is basically the lead scientist on this um, project that's mckenna oh yeah mckenna i'll i'll I get confused with the few white people in the comics. Um, so basically, McKenna is Casey's ex-husband. Uh, McKenna is the head scientist. McKenna created Virgo and the and the Aquarius complex, and he's basically the person who found Billy and has created this giant technological shit show therein. So McKenna is basically, um, you know, trying to figure out like what's going on with like the super demon thing that came out and like killed everybody. And as he's turning around to figure out what was happening, well, no, this, uh, he this sees a guy who's right there. <laughs> this is Tagger. Yeah. Oh my but gosh. McKenna okay, is the name is, of the okay. doctor. <laughs> Okay, I will. I'm confused, and I think this is an artwork thing. Don't worry, I'll go back and edit this whole show so you say the right names at the right times. <laughs> Just kidding. So this white guy, the doctor white guy, turns doctor, around no, and a the, god is there, and a the, god he's basically like the CEO of like Aquari- the Aquarius project. Is that in fairness? I read this like I finished reading it like 20 minutes before the show, so it's very very fresh. To Explain me. the next two pages, please. Okay, Taggart is here, uh, and he is. Yes, this, this is Taggart. Is, this is Taggart. <laughs> and he's basically like basically writing this paragraph like through voice dictation um, about this. Um, like there's this Sawa Corporation that's developing this military technology and they want to par- they have a partnership or they want to have a partnership with the Aquarius Project. But part of the Aquarius Project, like their whole creed is that they're, uh, you know, they're not supposed to be into military activities. So he's basically saying, uh, you know, working with the Sawa Corporation on this activity would be improper. Uh, but as he's saying, this uh he turns around and he is he sees uh this demon it's it's who he realizes agat has come and is there and agat just seemingly we don't well he he disrobes him and then uh seemingly just like 
dissolves his body. <laughs> we don't really see how he how he dies, but he just like his body just dissolves, and then we see this body reforming again. And uh, basically, what has happened here is Agat has killed Taggart, who is like the head of the Aquarius Project, and uh, is now reformed as Taggart. So from now on, the rest of the time we see Taggart, not McKenna, Taggart, uh, then it is really Agat, right? So right now, Agat is pretending to be Taggart. He's going around talking to other members of the Aquarius Project about a day later and trying to figure out what everything else is. So basically now Agat is trying to figure out where he is, what's going on, and who is this Billy who's become the Ronin and why. So he basically does that. We go to another double-page spread. I do like the double-page spreads. They really do kind of let you know the feeling of New York, but I feel like they're becoming a bit tedious at this point because it's like the third one in this issue and it really provides no other context. Um, so basically the Ronin has been uh, taken hostage by some guy. He had the absolute shit beat out of him at the end of that, of that previous scene by these, all those like, um, you know, the Nazis and whatever, the, all the, all the, that racist like gang that he, he came into contact with. So they like, they basically disemboweled yeah. him. So he was practically dead. And then this guy, uh, is the one that kind of like took him in sort of, so he's kind of healing him, but he also has his own, his own motivations of sorts. Yeah, and basically this dude is trying to build a spaceship or something, and what he can tell is that the Ronin is not really a person. So what he starts doing is he starts looking at him, and he's like, you know, you look like you're made of some pretty expensive shit right here. So he goes ahead and starts, like, cutting off his arm, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and use all these wires and stuff to fix up my warp engine for my spaceship and stuff. But he's not dealing with just a regular mechanical Japanese guy. He's dealing with Billy. So what Billy does is he uses, like, his psychic powers to like go all evil dead on the arm. And he basically takes the arm that the guy is holding and he commands it to basically choke him to death. And then what he does like something out of the freaking exorcist, the arm basically throws some wires back at, back at the Ronin and it reattaches to him. So this is just some, some weird shit, but we're really starting to understand that, you know, that, each time we think we know what Billy is capable of as the Ronin, it turns out to just be something else. He, it's just crazy. And he gets up, and what does he see in the guy's office? He sees a samurai helmet. So he goes, he looks around, he's like, I wonder what else he has, and he sees the sword, Tachi. It is the demon sword that will be able to go ahead and take Why out Why does this guy have all this stuff there? That's what I'm wondering. It, it's, all, it's all a bit peculiar, isn't it? Although it makes more sense when we get to the end. Yeah. But, you know, like all the other timing, uh, who shows up to take out Ronan? It's all the evil Nazi thug guys who beat the shit out of him the day before. Except, much like Pulp Fiction, he's not coming unarmed. He's coming with the freaking sword. So as everyone's just like, oh, look, he's got a he's got a sharp thing. He's got a sword. Look how cute. He just doesn't talk. He does what he's good at. He lunges down and immediately starts like cutting limbs off and shit. And we don't see full detail. It feels very Tarantino with the, uh, the blood spraying everywhere and the, the bright reds uh, contrasting against the black and white. It's just, it, it's perfect. It's beautiful. It, it is. It, it, it's, it's art. It's pure art. And uh, he basically just starts like killing everybody for pages and pages and pages. And uh, yeah, at this point he ends up sparing this other guy. He's like, Hey, you know, you're not here to fight me and stuff. So like, let's go ahead and talk. 
I think we need, just need to get out of here. And the guy's just like, hey, man, you need, like, creative management. You need to you know what's going on in this city. And at this point, Ronan's just like, yeah, you know what? I think I'm just going to leave you here, man. So at this point, we really do know that the Ronin is, is all alone. Um, but what ends up happening is we realize that uh, some of those guys ended up being part of the Aquarius Complex security detail. And one of them goes ahead and calls back to Casey the head of security and they're basically like, listen, like he was just taking heads like clean off like bowling balls. I mean, he's just killing everybody. So at this point, Casey's just like, you know, we don't know what this Agat thing is really doing. We don't know what Billy is Ronin's really doing. We just know that they're both killing people and stuff like this is this, this has got to stop. So that is the end of issue two. Um, issue two, I mean, just continues to show us the the range of the Ronin, really what Aquarius is, and that you know this is this is a world where you've got to you've got to kill to survive and kill indeed the Ronin can do. Uh, yeah, this is just really taking us more and more into this world. Now we've kind of abandoned the the uh, you know eight hundred years ago samurai story, and we're we're bringing that full on into. Uh, into this futuristic setting here, and uh, it's yeah, it, it's it's very much uh, it, it's still continuing to suck me in because I really enjoy uh, at least what seems to be this sort of ancient Japanese warrior just kind of plopping into this futuristic world and seemingly not really sweating it, <laughs> even while he's got these these weird powers and these new arms. Uh, he he's always seems pretty much relaxed, and then when he gets attacked, he just does his samurai thing and just and just kills with with Tachi. And now that he's got Tachi back. Okay, so now we're on to book three. Uh, we open to the first page. We see that this woman is out riding a horse. It looks like we're in feudal Japan. So we're, we're getting this idea that, yeah, all this stuff still matters. We're still going to get some degree of a flashback. But that doesn't really show much to anything else. Because what ends up happening is uh, what we see is that... Um, this is part of some type of video, memory, whatever, some type of footage of the Ronin in action because that woman is being stalked by some thugs and apparently um, th- this is mirroring something that ha- is happening now. So basically what we're, what we're identifying is that everything the Ronin does now comes from something that happened in the past. So we start with the first page of the woman riding the horse in feudal Japan. She's being stalked by some thugs. Then we go to the second page and we see that um, the artwork is basically mirroring the Ronin and that woman in terms of what they're about to do. And Casey's basically looking at this footage while we're also seeing part of the flashbacks to basically see that like everything the Ronin is doing, he's always been doing. He's, he's a badass. Long way of basically saying they don't know how the fuck to beat him. And she's looking at footage of him basically taking out a whole bunch of their guards. And she's just seeing his powers in play. And she's just like, how can Billy be like, you know, the vessel of like a 19th century freaking samurai? She doesn't know how it is. So then we go on to the next couple pages and we see that it wasn't a woman. It was actually the Ronin in a different outfit. We could tell it's him by the scar and everything else. And basically the guys have been tricked. Um he's going ahead and he's basically also trying to like tame this horse. It's a lot of like, I don't like the flow of these next couple pages. It gets really confusing, but basically it 
doesn't matter. So I'll just say the first couple pages here are a little bit all over the place, or at least maybe it's the way it's printed. Yeah, I was a little confused because she's she's looking at footage of the Ronin, and it's I'm I'm like, is this supposed to be paralleling this thing with with him and the horse? Or uh, yeah, I, I agree, it's a little bit unclear. You know exactly the significance at that point of this whole this whole flashback scene with the horse. Yeah, and basically she's talking now to Taggart, who's in the room. We know that Taggart is really a god, and they're trying to figure out how to beat Billy and bring him back and stop him from being this Ronin guy who's killing everybody. So you know basically what? I think the horse thing is not a flashback. I think this is how he gets the current horse. You think that's now? I think it is. I didn't the first time I read it, but now that I'm seeing it cuz the next scene we see him in that same outfit talking to the hippie space guy. Huh. Or t- so talking maybe... to the hippie dude who's going to yeah. With that same horse and that same Oh my outfit. gosh, you're right. So I yeah. think he actually just went out and found a horse and came back with it. So this is this is a weird world. Yeah, because we're back we're back in New York when they do the splash page. So yeah. basically, he had to go find a horse. Yeah, I don't like the first couple pages. It makes it a little bit confusing. Um basically, let me recap all that big recap just now. Casey doesn't know how to kill him or capture him. Agat's trying to help her figure it out because Agat wants to kill Ronan and Ronan found a horse. Ronan was not a chick. That was just there you go. confusing artwork at the beginning. There's one uh, one thing I just want to point out from the scene where uh, like Casey is reviewing this footage from Taggart uh, with Taggart, and they're talking to Virgo here at the same time, and they're seeing that one of the guns, like it's seemingly backfired. They're about to shoot him with this gun on the Ronin, but the gun just exploded, and they're saying, well, this is Aquarius issue. This can't backfire. This is our, our kind of circuitry. This is not the kind of gun that can backfire. And they realize, well, then the Ronin, like, actually exploded the gun with his mind with some kind of telepathic power. Yeah. And, and this is also where that where Vir- Virgo also kind of explains that the Ronin is Billy and then kind of tells everything about everything that happened in the, in the first issue that we saw. Right. So basically the, the next issue basically shows the Ronin is traveling through like gangland and basically the Nazis and the black Panthers are like fighting for territory and they want to know, like whether or not the Ronin will pick a side and the Ronin is basically just like, I'm not going to have anything to do with this. So he basically says that they're all a bunch of fucking morons and he, he rides off with his you know hippie sidekick and everything else. So now, okay. Now is this Casey's ex-husband? <laughs> um, yes, yes, yes. This is now McKenna, Dr. McKenna. Correct. Yeah. And uh, basically, uh, other white guy. Yeah, other white guy. Basically, Casey's with her ex-husband who basically like created Virgo and everything else. And she wants to learn more about, you know, what's going on because she's concerned with the fact that the facility blew up and she's lost a bunch of men. Meanwhile, her ex-husband is just like, you know, I thought that, you know, this little getaway would be good for us. Maybe we could reconnect. I, I know I haven't been much of a wife to you, Peter, uh, not for some time and all this other stuff. So basically, this is all awkward for both of them because she wants to talk about business and he wants to try and actually like, you know, get back together and stuff. So at this point, you know, she feels kind of bad because she kind of wants to get back together. So now she's like, OK, Peter, well, let, let, let's go to our room. So they end up um, walking a little bit further. And this is this is basically just more. Aquarius talk. We've basically skipped ahead. Uh, we can assume that maybe Casey and her ex are going to get back together. And we see a whole bunch of um, uh, Aquarius like CEOs and stuff talking. And this is. Yeah, they're with those guys from the Sawa Corporation. So now they're going to uh, see because ever since uh, he was taken over by a got suddenly Tiger's position on 
working with these guys to create military technology suddenly flipped. Uh, so that's a that's a pretty crucial part of this too. Uh, so now a got tagger. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why I don't like this section. I don't like the layout. It, and it makes everything just so complicated to follow. Just in terms of in terms of what? In terms of the flow, like this there's is, a lot of dialogue here. Yeah, like this is this is one of those things where it's like you don't know what to pay attention to. And for me, it's like I start going all ADHD, focusing on like all these different things. So yeah, ba- basically what you said is I, I found myself correct. switching back and forth because sometimes I had to see like the entire page because he, he does that thing where there's multiple panels, but it's really one image. But then there's other sections where because of the way I'm reading on the on Hoopla, I would use the um, I don't know what the mode is called, but there's a mode where you can just go panel to panel. And I would have to use that mode to to follow it. So for me, it was a little easier when I because I would switch to that mode, and then I'm I'm only looking at one panel at a time when I, when I'm doing that. But then I would have to would, I'd have to toggle back to the other mode because there's certain times you have to see like whole pages at once. So that that was a little frustrating reading this digitally. This is definitely a book I would say if if you can get your hands on it physically, it, it probably is a more satisfying experience to read the actual book and see those double page spreads. And but again, with this uh, with this kind of panel to panel view, you can kind of focus on where you need to focus too. So. To each his own. So basically, now we're back into New York, and we see that the the Ronin is going around. And at this point, they're just like, uh, you know, we we need to go ahead and um, you know get some food or something. So he goes over to the wrong part of town, and the hippie sidekick is basically like, yeah, you know, just go over there, and you know, let, let's see if we can get something from that place. So he goes over, stands in front of this, uh, you know. Uh, display window and all of a sudden they realize oh wait we're still in black panther territory so this black guy lunges through the glass screaming the n-word like leroy jenkins as he's just lunging towards the ronin the ronin is screaming screaming the n-word because wait the uh, ronin is screaming the n-word yeah so his hippie sidekick here i I feel like i'm I'm pulling you back out of the the abyss today (laughs) his hippie sidekick guy is like whispers in his ear he's like all right i just want you to go in here and just say this one word say this word over and over and so he just like whispers this one word in the ronin Oh ear. my gosh. And then the Ronan goes in and he yells, I'm not going to do it, but he oh yells that word gosh. over and over. And then that that's would be why the I'm, end of yeah. second print comics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We can get away with saying everything else that you said earlier, but which I'm also not yeah. going to say, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't think we can do that one and I'm not going to. And that's, okay. uh, we are recording this late folks. You will, you will forgive me. You will forgive me. Um, oh my gosh. I, I don't know if I just never realized there. I forgot it. That is screwed up. That's so well, screwed it's up. All part of the all part of the darkness of the story. Well, I did not mean to say darkness. Whoa. Of the story, but anyway. Whoa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so basically, basically now he has to fight the giant Black Panther guy. He's got like the baseball bat from The Walking Dead with like the nails going through it, and he's about to bash the Ronin. The Ronin whips out his sword and cut off and cuts off his hands. And next thing you know, the, the hippie sidekick is like, "Ronin, baby, you're gonna be a star." because everyone is like looking around at him and at this point the ronin's just like ah yeah he points a sword at him and the hippie's like hey come on man be cool like i wouldn't set you up for that but he kind of did so now uh we've moved a page we see that casey and her husband went and actually did have a good fun night together um the the nudity is kind of strange because it's like you could tell they're naked but they're really not it's very frank miller-esque and, uh, you know, it's strange nudity. Yeah. It's basically them trying to basically say, you know, this is maybe us getting back together, but it's not, it's kind of just all over the place. And, you know, you've got to go be your CEO. I've got to actually go. No, he's the scientist doctor. CEO is Taggart. <laughs> they're all, the, they're all, they all look the same. <laughs> yeah. So basically 
Their relationship is weird. Uh, we go back to the Ronin, and I guess the Ronin's assigned to end this gang war because why not? So he goes ahead and goes to like, the Nazis now, and the Nazi is basically trying to like convince Ronin to like join him and stuff. Um, basically, the Ronin's just not having it, so he goes around and just starts killing the Nazis. So now, because of all this violence and shit, uh, Casey has basically figured out that you know Ronin is somewhere in town fighting all of these gangs. So, so basically, now um, you've got all the big business leaders who are basically trying to you know, figure out what's going on. And essentially, uh, because the Ronin is going out like fighting in a gang war, because they still don't know what, what's going on with the guy, everyone's starting to freak out. And, uh, meanwhile, um, Taggart, who is a got, or is it McKenna? McKenna is a got the guy no, who Taggart is a got <laughs> who's the dude wearing the Cape now. Cause now Taggart. Taggart's wearing the Slash Cape. I got, yeah. yeah, he's, he's wearing, um, you know, uh, he, he, you know, Tagger is wearing this prototype military uniform, and Virgo's just like, uh, that's kind of weird. Why are you doing? And basically, this? here first we're seeing a conversation between McKenna and Learned uh, about the fact that they're like McKenna is outraged because his agreement, his contract with Aquarius, states that uh, this bio circuitry that he essentially invented will not be used to kill people. And he's talking to Learned, who is Taggart's number two, and they're like, "Well, you know, this is what's happening. I, you can't really do that. And by the way, your contract is just to work for Aquarius, so you can quit." and we still have your technology and that's ours so it doesn't really matter what you do uh, and meanwhile Virgo is kind of arguing seemingly with Taggart slash Agat about the fact that he is now going to be uh, ordering that they have this deal with the Sawa Corporation that they're going to make uh, military equipment using this bio circuitry uh, so basically uh, he's just arguing with Virgo seemingly about that uh, before we go back to the Ronin here who is uh, the <laughs> and his hippie friend they are basically trying to make a deal with some these black panther guys uh that are like the one guys in like a superman outfit which i really enjoy they're basically trying to make a deal uh after they were sent to these they were sent to kill these guys by the nazis but now they were going to make a deal with these guys to go kill the nazis instead uh but uh the ronin is starting to get headaches here as well so um yeah that's that's basically where we're at uh but at the end of the day here uh it's not long before oh actually no this is important when he's having the headaches uh you see the ronin start to say a word he's saying k k casey so he's saying casey's name which is really interesting because how would the ronin guy ever even know who casey is at all in the first place uh but right as he's saying that uh, a gun is fired and uh, you realize that security is there. Uh, the Aquarius security has arrived and they are firing at the Ronin uh, who quickly shoots an arrow into one of the guns and hops on that horse and starts doing Ronin stuff, starts going to town on these Aquarius security folks, including just exploding a motorcycle at one point. So he, he really goes wild here uh, on, on the security force. Yeah, it's like the opening scene for like John Wick 3, where it's just like a horse chase through New York and everything. And uh, at this point, Casey gets knocked down completely, which is bad because next thing you know, she's surrounded by all these people and they're trying to figure out, you know, do we help her? Do we kill her? Do we steal her stuff? And uh, that's not what you want to do because the next thing you know, the Ronin comes out as he's been able to get free of the security, uh, you know, the ones that he didn't kill, the ones that are probably like going off and chasing, you know, what they think is him. And he goes through and he's basically like cutting down the biggest guys in that crowd who are about to harm Casey. And everyone just kind of looks around and they're just like, man, do we, do we want to get involved in that? Like, this is not a good situation. 
Um, next thing you know, um, uh, the, the, the hippie sidekick comes over and he's like, Hey, we thought we'd lost you for a minute, pal. We better split. And you know, Ronan's just tired of this guy's shit. So he grabs him and tosses him down. And the Ronan stands over Casey and he says, Casey, again, what has happened is she's gone ahead and um, basically fallen into this giant, like 300 style pit in the ground that everyone is around. So he goes ahead and he decides to go ahead and jump in. And we think hopefully it's to save her. So that is the end of issue three. Uh, issue three keeps it going. I think it's a, it was a little bit too complicated. Maybe it's because you know that's just because you confuse the white just, guys. Just just because I confuse the white guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think the most intriguing aspect of issue three, like every every issue, there's like there's there's more revealed that we start to understand about this world, but then there's more questions that come up as well. Uh, so you know, we're, we're seeing Virgo is still seemingly kind of like the force for good here. Um, who doesn't you know is is trying to combat. Uh, Taggart's attempt to suddenly, who we know is a got, suddenly take Aquarius into this military direction. Why? Because Taggart's a demon. A got's a demon. Why not start doing military evil type stuff? Um, and then at the same time, there's this new wrinkle of where before they've even met anyway, at least as as the Ronin, uh, the Ronin has this connection to Casey. And Casey also seems to seemingly, well, I think this is more in the next issue, but Casey also seemingly has some sort of connection uh, to the Ronin as well. So uh, there's a, an extra layer there and we're not really sure what that's about, but we'll get there. Right. So now we're down in the pit and apparently like more cannibal mutant whatevers have taken Casey and the remaining uh, security force. They've stripped them naked and it's completely dark. So Casey and Simmons, one of the other security guys, they end up being able to talk to each other. They're both stripped naked. They have no clue what's going on. And they're just basically trapped in this giant, you know, underground layer beneath what we think is a forest. There's another double page spread. I can't tell whether this is the Aquarius center and something has changed or whether I believe this is, this is, yeah, I believe every time we're getting these spreads, it's meant to show us New York and show us what's changing with this Aquarius complex. Cause ever since the incident with Billy uh, and the explosion, the Aquarius complex has essentially been growing and changing, which very much did remind me again of, uh, of elements of um, Akira. Yes. Of Akira. Yeah, so so basically um, what, what's happening is Virgo is, in order to basically respond to all potential dangers, Virgo is using the Aquarius Center to change, and she's doing it at the behest of Agat, who is pretending to be the scientist. So everyone is kind of freaking. Nope, he's pretending he's to pretending be Taggart, the he's, CEO. <laughs> he's the guy, okay? He's the bad guy. And it, it's it's doing bad guy shit. And uh, now they're creating these giant, um, you know, Aquarius monster robot things to go out and find Ronan. And they look scary. Those things are not white guys. I do not confuse them here. I don't know why it is. Yeah. And at, at, well, at this point now, now the two white guys are, are in direct conflict because McKenna has showed up to uh, basically try to combat this thing. They, they have, but they've turned him. He, he kind of has this like technology seemingly like embedded within him. He has this own bio circuitry that, that he uh, invented. So that enables him to kind of get anywhere um, in this, in the building now. And he is actually just directly, uh, confronting Taggart here uh, about this whole thing where they're using it uh, for the weapons or whatever. And Taggart's just like, you're drunk McKenna. You don't know what you're talking about. Fuck off basically. And they, they basically just have, take uh take McKenna in and 
into imprisonment at this point because he's he's a uh, he's causing trouble and Taggart slash Agat ain't having it. Yeah. So basically, we're we're back down to where Casey and Simmons have been taken uh, hostage, and what we basically see is that the Ronin is down there too, and we finally get to see uh, some of their captors we see them in the shadows they're cannibals and they're eating some of the other security forces guys that they were able to capture these so, guys remind me of those the guys uh the, those underground like mutants uh from uh dark knight returns yeah they're they're basically kind of like the mutants uh that that's what they were called then so basically simmons is just like losing his shit he's like make them stop make the chuckling stop because they're eating them they're just laughing at them too uh but luckily the ronin is there and the Ronin comes down and he basically fights them. And what's cool is that we never actually see these bad guys, but what we do see uh, is kind of get a glimpse of one of their faces. But yeah, for the most part, we yeah, see I mean, we don't see action. the full fight. It's like seeing shadows fighting and mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. And basically, um, uh, you know, the Ronin takes them out. And at this point, you know, Casey's like, you know what? I'll, I'll keep talking, Johnson. Don't worry. Uh, the best thing to do is to review the situation. We'll be okay. And she's basically distracting him uh, from looking at anything else because the dude's losing his shit while she's watching uh, the Ronin fight these guys. And at this point, uh, the, the room gets darker. And it, it seems, and correct me if I'm wrong, because the next page is kind of weird. We see all these hands come out and gra- they're they're grabbing one of the other soldiers. I think it's I think it's meant to say that while she turned around, somebody else went ahead and grabbed one of the other soldiers. So now she's just in complete darkness. And what we see is that a hand has come over her face and it grabs her. I really like that panel. How it shows her face in each consecutive panel with the hand slowly coming over it until there's just darkness. It's really well done. Yeah. So, um, and I know you're going to confuse which guy. This is, is McKenna. This, this is McKenna. There we go. Why there is it? They, why is it? It can't just be me. McKenna looks different each time we see him. Um, yeah, kind of. I always know who it is, though. So, but I can tell white guys apart, Ramza. That's the thing. okay. That's my superpower. So basically, McKenna is getting briefed now on what happened to Billy by Virgo. yeah, like he's been in prison, but he still talks to Virgo. I, he invented Virgo, I believe, and uh, Virgo's basically just telling him the whole story about Agat and uh, Billy and the demon, and he's just like. Yeah, okay, whatever, Virgo. That's that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> like, yeah. he does, he's not buying this shit at all. It's like no, everyone's trying to compartmentalize how bad the situation is. That's why, like, every issue, somebody is figuring out what's happening for the for the first time again. That's why so many people are basically being told who Billy is, what happened, what's going on with Ronan, and all mm-hmm. this other stuff. So um, now uh, Agat is uh, basically doing more stuff. I, I don't really feel like a lot of the, the side stories of the God is important. I mean, it's, it, it's him basically trying to rewire Virgo and the Aquarius complex to be more of a formidable weapon. And what I think is interesting is as he's also like messing with the robots, if you look at some of the robots that he has, they actually kind of look like different versions of a God in demon form. No, oh, yeah, so, kind of. I yeah. never really noticed that before. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting about this scene is that we see Virgo is kind of like uh, omnipresent. Like Virgo is talking to um, 
to McKenna in the one scene, like telling him everything that's been going on, which he doesn't buy at all, uh, which is interesting. Uh, be, and then the next thing we see, you're talking to ta- Taggart. And this is where things get interesting because this whole time, it seems like Virgo is just, you know, kind of the good voice of everything. But then here, Virgo actually is seeming to be now on Taggart's side, at least when it comes to this idea of using the weaponry. She's saying, how did our expedition go? And he's like, oh, it went well. And, and you know, and they're, they're saying, well, you know, uh, this is leading to some some questions, uh, you know, about, about what's going on here. You you monitor everything this complex, so you you probably know what's going on here. Like meaning meaning like Taggart slash Agat knows that Virgo sees everything, so she actually has to know that he's not Taggart. And that's when Virgo kind of comes clean. She's like, "Yeah, don't worry. Your secrets are safe with me. In fact, I'm here to help you, Mister Taggart. In a way you'll never understand. You're here to help me, but I've told you enough for now. Except what I have to tell you about a conversation I just had with Doctor McKenney. See, he's very suspicious, very suspicious, and very very intelligent and she's just saying you know keep keep him in his room so this is this is when you first start to think okay so not when first i mean there's there's many instances when you start to think what's going on here exactly but uh up till this point i think we all think virgo is is definitely good and now you're like well hold on here like she's she's now telling taggart who we know is this demon i got you're actually helping me so this starts to make us think it's a, there's another layer here of so what really is going on behind all this okay now, now i definitely kind of appreciate a little bit more i always just thought as oh this is this is the conspiracy that's behind the scenes and everything. And later, it'll just make sense whether you pay attention to it or not. Maybe it's just because I'm impatient. I mean, it helps if you pay attention. Yeah, <laughs> little things like that. Um, anyway, we go on to the next page. We see that uh, Casey has woken up, and now she's dealing with even more of these underground mutant creatures. Now she's surrounded by a whole army of them. They're about to, like, I don't know, rape or eat or do whatever. And they're just all like coming out. I mean, they're just running. This is like horrifying. This is like hills have eyes terrifying. But luckily, she doesn't have to worry too much because the Ronin is down there with his sword, hacking limbs, cutting people head to toe. It, it is it, it is pretty freaking badass. And, uh, you know, I, I wish it could go on for a few more pages, but then we go back to Agat as the doctor and um no as tagger as tagger tagger is the doctor taggart's a doctor or tagger's ceo he's a ceo mckenna's the doctor they're all the, they're all the fucking same yeah. so um he, he's basically rewriting how the aquarius complex is so what we do know is that him and virgo are basically trying to create this facility to be a dangerous weapon it's no longer just a research uh complex now it's actually going to be used as, as a weapon for something that i got has planned. yeah and at the same time um mckenna <laughs> has escaped uh the help of, I think uh, Sandy is the one that helped him escape and he's got this like vacuum suit. So he's, he's trying to go take out Virgo now. Cause now he sees Virgo as, as not on his side. Yeah. Uh, next thing, you know, uh, we're back in the sewers and it, now they have like these, uh, these like eight panel pages of just, the Ronin like going after these mutant people, it goes on for several pages and there's actually no dialogue and it's just him going through and killing all of them. Like each and every one of them. Um, next thing you know, Casey wakes up and she grabs uh, one of the swords that was on uh, the Ronin's person, other than like his main sword. So they're they're looking at each other and they're just like, "Are we gonna fight or something?" But no, the Ronin walks away, 
And, you know, Casey's just kind of like freaking out. She's like, what do I do? Next thing you know, right behind her, the Ronin comes back and he grabs a towel and places it over her. Next thing you know, things start getting kind of weird because he brushes her hair back and now he's like putting the moves on her, kissing her shoulder and stuff like that. Uh, Meanwhile, um, we see that uh, a guy is now being toyed around with by Virgo and that he's having kind of a complex because what he's trying to do is he's trying to basically think that he's still in charge of everything. But Virgo is basically trying to break a got down and say, you know, you could do all this stuff. Did but you move to the next book? I'm in the next page. I'm confused about where you are. Are you beginning to realize what you're up against, Peter Deer? Or are you beginning to recognize <laughs> the limits confused, of your... Because cons- you called Taggart a guy. This is not Taggart. Okay. <laughs> This is McKenna. This is Peter McKenna who's on the way to try to stop Taggart. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then we go on and we see uh, Peter McKenna is still on his way to try to take out Taggart and stop him. And meanwhile, because Virgo is everywhere and knows what's going on at all times, Virgo is talking to uh, Peter here. She's saying, are you beginning to realize what you're up against, Peter? Are you beginning to recognize the limits of your scientific conceit? This is a demon, Peter. And she's also showing him like the footage of of Agat uh, basically taking over Taggart's body. She's saying, you know, this is a demon, Peter, a demon, a creature of magic. And he's like, no, no, there's no such thing. He's like, it's a trick. Somehow you killed him, Virgo. I know it was you. She's like, yeah, a, a microwave. Yeah, you cooked him. You cooked him. You, you bitch. He calls her a bitch. It's great. The rest is just a trick. And he's like, there's no magic, no magic. But he's just continuing to be shown these images of a got. Uh, and then, of course, we go back to a, a little more lovemaking uh, between the Ronin and Casey as we wrap things yeah, up. Yeah, they just literally like start screwing on the floor. And it's uh, it. It's it's several pages of them, you know, doing some crazy foreplay and these little micro panels that go on for four, eight, twelve, sixteen micro panels on one page alone, and the last page is them just going straight into it. You know what, you know what I've realized this this episode? What? <laughs> I almost did it, ironically. My your Taggart McKenna issue is my my issues episodes issue. Which I seem to have been cured of, at least this Do week. I get a pass? No, you don't get a pass. Do I get a it's pass just, for yeah. that? Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm just pointing it out that it's the, the equivalent. There's no pass. I will continue to give you shit about this the whole time. Such a hater. So anyway. Well, they're very the different characters. Of, uh... <laughs> I mean, one is the literal embodiment of Satan in human form, and, and the other <laughs> one is a, a, a scientist trying to do good by his, his technology that's gotten out of hand. Okay. End of book four. What'd you think of book four? <laughs> I, I really liked it because, again, like, first of all, we saw all this action with the Ronin, uh, which I really enjoyed just seeing him completely unleashed. But and there's still these like every issue when I think I finally get, OK, this is what this story is. There's new twists and turns that kind of guide me in a different direction, because before up until this issue, I'm thinking I thought Virgo was just totally all set, totally on the side of, of good and everything. She saved Billy in the beginning. But now it seems that that Virgo's kind of playing both sides. She's at one hand. She's talking to Peter, telling him, hey, this is a this is Peter. Who's McKenna? I don't want to confuse it with calling him multiple names. Uh, but uh, McKenna is, you know, she's talking to him, telling him, like, this is a demon. You don't know what you're dealing with. At the same time, she's talking to Taggart, talking to this demon and encouraging him to do this military stuff and, and acting like almost like she's manipulating him, but he's the freaking demon. So it's just adding more and more intrigue on top of that. This connection between the Ronin and Casey seems to be deeper. I mean, to the fact that Casey just, you know, dives right into things with him without even a second thought, even while she's, uh, you know, I think it was just a few hours ago. She was doing the very same thing with her husband. So <laughs> this has really gone on in some, some interesting directions. And, 
you know, this book never lets me get complacent. That That's one thing I really enjoy about it. I'm never at a point where I'm like, okay, I know what the story is. And then we're just going to sail through that story the rest of the way. That never happens in this book. It's always taking me and pulling me in different directions, which I really love. Definitely. So now we're on to book five. Uh, Casey and the Ronin have made their way up from the sewers where they were having sex earlier. And now they're on the rooftop. And, you know, he started a fire. They're going to just probably camp out there that night. And she she makes this comment where she's like, look, I appreciate the gesture and all. But on a night as warm as this, the last thing we need is a fire. Next thing you know, she looks around. It starts snowing. And she's just like, what? Wait a second. Did he know it was about to snow? Did I not know it was about to snow? And she's like, snow, it hasn't snowed in five years. And uh, next, you know, the Ronin looks over and he's like, we have escaped the castle of your enemy. Still much trial awaits us. And she's like, English. I mean, you're, you're speaking English. And he's like, many, many are the hours we must travel and many are those who stand in our way. But for now, the fire is warm. Let us sit and rest while we can. And she's trying to get him to remember like everything. It's like, hey, man, like, listen, you killed you killed like three of my men. We got to talk about this. I mean, what are you doing to me? As if they didn't have sex earlier, like, <laughs> I know. Two, like an issue ago. And he's like, please sit. Once years ago, I saved the life of a wise old priest. Grateful. He made me a gift. Uh, he, he made a gift to me of a few precious words. If you find yourself on the cliffside, hungry, trapped, uh, I'm sorry, trapped with a hungry tiger waiting above and the hungry tiger waiting below. And by chance, you spy a single strawberry from the cliffside. And she's like, what are you talking about, man? Like you killed three of my guys. He's like, pluck the strawberry and bite into it. Taste it. I don't get how this is supposed to be like, you know, making her horny or something, but she's just stops well, and she's working. just like drooling for him. And he's like, we are on that cliffside. Our lives are as fragile and as brief as a cherry's blossom and fragrant. And next thing you know, they have sex on the freaking rooftop again. I love it. And, and the fire and the snow. Yeah, so basically what we have to learn from this is that not only does Ronan have the moves, but he can also now control parts of reality. He made it snow. And he suddenly speaks English. Yeah. Also relevant. And then we see another two-page panel again. uh, Like every time they go to this this panel that's showing um, the city, Aquarius, the Aquarius complex has, has seemingly grown and taken over more and more of the city. So at this point, the whole city is basically enveloped in Aquarius. Yeah. And now we see that Dr. McKenna is hostage. Hey, congratulations. You got it right. Yeah. McKenna is a hostage by Virgo and he's losing his shit because he's been drugged with uh, something called methadrine and it's making him basically go crazy. I get that right. You did. You did. You're back on track, buddy. And then this is, I I messed something up earlier when I said Sandy saved him earlier. He just, he wasn't actually being held earlier, but now he is being held. And, and this, this Sandy is this like talk therapist who's sent to basically tell him what's going on. And he's, he's basically saying, untie me, (laughs) like, like, let me go. And then we can talk. Yeah. And and basically now, uh, Taggart, you got it. You nailed it. Getting ready is getting ready to basically take everyone from the Aquarius complex and go hunt Ronan. So now we're back um, to Casey and the Ronin, and she's just done asking questions. She's like, I won't even ask about the horse. Is there riding a horse through like a naked cannibal island or something? And she's like, don't ignore me. I heard you talk that much, I'm sure. If you're very strange, Ronin, I mean, 
what, what, what do I need to know? I wish I could just tell what's going on inside your mind. So as they continue to ride, he's like, do not fear. We will reach the castle at dawn. You will be safe. And our love will be a memory never shared, but ever cherished. So she's just like, you know, for a samurai, uh, for, I'm sorry, he, he calls her a samurai. He's like, for you are a samurai as I was until I failed my Lord Azaki. And now until I avenge his foul murder, I live in shame, masterless, dishonored, a Roman. That is my karma. And she's just like, you know, when, when you start talking, you don't stop, do you? So why don't you tell me what's going on and, and where is here? And he's like, stop, there's still um, still to have one such as you to love and defend, if only for a day. This is an honor. I do not. And right before he's about to finish that sentence, they're like, uh oh, what, what do you see? Do you see that? Buckethead. It's a buckethead ninjas. So basically what's happening is that Ronan is basically playing out the story as if it's still him trying to fight a god. We may as well be back in feudal Japan for him. Basically, he is manipulating reality to mimic feudal Japan, so much so that now these giant buckethead ninjas have come out, and he has to basically fight them now. And he he goes and does it, and I mean, these are the pages that I really love. It's just back-to-back pages of him fighting these ninjas cutting heads off in the most spectacular panel layouts i think i've seen for for most fight combat scenes ever and what's cool is that casey who's now wearing like her own kimono with her own samurai sword just jumps out and starts like kicking ass too so now as casey's doing that the ronin's about to go ahead and you know, uh, jump over and fight with her. She's like, how did I learn how to fight with a sword? Uh, suddenly the one bucket head ninja shoots an arrow at him at Casey. But, uh, what the Ronin does, he sticks his arm out to protect her and it basically blows his arm off. Um, now we see basically that they weren't giant bucket head ninjas. They were actually robots and now they're back in like New York. So they went from being like feudal Japan fighting ninjas. Now they're back in New York and they realize they've been here the entire time. And now they're fighting a gots army of evil robots. Yeah. And this is where, uh, they're, they're kind of realizing that, uh, the Ronin is an android, and, and Tagger's kind of explaining it. He's, he's like, "Oh, an android? Yeah, we were we were messing with these androids until we figured out this whole straight up robots thing." So, uh, you know, it's a Ronin, whatever. He, he, I guess he's using this Ronin as a likeness, but uh, you know, it just it is what it is, and it's no big deal. It's basically, them saying that Ronin, he he chose the Ronin because the Ronin is everything that Billy is not, because Billy's been rejected. Billy's a nugget person. There's only so much Billy has in life, so he's basically using this. Uh, Ronan character as a power fantasy. Yeah, McKenna is basically now we go explaining to this Sandy person who's like giving him the the talk therapy as they call it with this drug. Um, he's kind of explaining that Billy has has teleconnect powers. He has mind powers, and uh, you know his powers are just basically out of control here. Uh, he doesn't actually know what what's going on, uh, but he's saying you know suppose Billy's powers were greater than anyone even knew. And they say why would he keep it a secret? Uh, like why why would Virgo keep it a secret? Basically, and they're saying well you tell me. Uh, so then, so now that we're starting to get the hints to here still through this conversation uh, that um, that there's something going on with Billy. Like we already knew he had powers, but that his powers may be far greater than anybody realized 
except apparently Virgo did realize this. Uh, at least this seems to be a McKenna's theory. So McKenna's just kind of explaining this all uh, to the Sandy chick. And basically they're, they're, they're he's theorizing that uh, perhaps Billy uh, has, he's, cause he's kind of like, they're saying he's mentally retarded too. And they're saying, you know, he may have hurt somebody, you know, this, that may have affected his, his emotions. Maybe he hurt somebody with his powers and that traumatized him when he was younger. And they said, you know, often mental retardation can be due to emotional factors rather than physical. Like if he shuts some, like if, like a battered child can shut down their brains, for instance. And, you know, she's saying, well, why would Billy shut down his, his hypothetical power? And he says, unless, unless he had done something, something with it that traumatized him. So that is, that's kind of Peter's theory here is that, that, um, Billy had been suppressing his true power had really almost made himself retarded essentially, uh, because he, because of some kind of trauma related to his power when he was a, a, a child. So that, that's his theory as he's, as he's laid out to Sandy here. Yeah, and we see it play out in the next page. You see the robots as they were taking out Ronan. What they intentionally did was they blew off his legs and his arms. So he's basically down for the count. But remember, they, they were robot arms and stuff. So it's not like he's actually going to die from it. So one of the robots comes over and starts like talking shit to him because it's controlled by a got. And what ends up happening is Billy is starting to fight between his double consciousness, between Billy and the Ronin. And we actually begin to see a real flashback from Billy. Basically, He's back, you know, in whatever daycare he was in as a crippled child. Not like now I feel now I feel really bad. Yeah, you should feel uh, bad calling this kid a nugget. Yeah. Better be careful. Like, man. Uh, might... <laughs> so, well, he doesn't look like a kid. He looks like a grown man. Yeah. I mean, he could be a kid there. I don't know. He's uh, I don't want to get into that. Basically, he's being picked <laughs> on by enough his people baby. today. I think. I think we should just move on. He's 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 being picked on by his babysitter. By the way, this looks like this may seem like nothing to some people. This this annoying babysitter is just tickling him. But imagine like I, there's nothing worse. I hated it so much when I would be tickled and like couldn't stop it as I was a kid. So I hate and it. Now, but imagine having no arms or legs to even fight back. I I, I don't blame him for well. He, he starts <laughs> screaming, "Stop it! Stop it, Mama! Stop it!" And like it's it, it's actually like. It's only a couple panels on this page, but it's like really, really sad. But next thing you know, he goes back into Ronin mode and he's like, stop. And he ends up blowing up a security guard with his mind and he ends up blowing up the robot, too. So what we're told is that in the flashback, because now he goes back to Billy mode, somehow Billy blew up Bart the babysitter just as his mom came home from picking up groceries and his mom is so terrified she starts screaming you monster you monster and he's like I'm sorry mama don't yell at me and you know he's saying this out loud as the Ronin too so it's like in his mind he's Billy but outward he's he's Ronin and Casey's like leave him alone stop it you're hurting him And at this point, you know, uh, Virgo is controlling that one robot. Casey's like, I don't think you're going to hurt me, Virgo, just because I felt a chill in the air. And I think that means trouble for you. So basically, you know, everyone's starting to realize that Billy is the key to everything that's going on. Yeah, And we learn more about this when we go back to this conversation with McKenna here, who's still talking to the Sandy chick. And he's basically saying, so, you know, Billy Chalice has this power, which he doesn't use because of this trauma, uh, but the power still exists. And so Sandy's like, so what is the power? He's like mind over matter, even his own mind over mattered uh and he's like the power still exists and billy is would be happy he'd be unhappy armless and legless he'd have to be unhappy how could he not be unhappy so what would he do and she's saying well i don't know he's not my patient i can't I, I don't there's no way i can talk about somebody i've never met and but then she says well 
he probably have a rich fantasy life. And that's when McKenna says, yes, exactly. And she's, and he's like, so where were these fantasies come from? She's saying, you know, wherever fairy tales, TV movies like that. And they might be violent. And she's like, well, yeah, they could be, especially if he was angry and he's like angry, he'd be raging. What else? He'd hate everybody. He has no arms, everybody out there with their arms and their legs. He'd want to take their arms and their legs and, and he'd want to chop them He's like, oh, my God, it's some kind of sick joke. And we we just see this laughter after that. Like, he's just like lost his shit. Could, but that this is the moment where it really clicked for me, where I was like, oh, oh, I don't know if you had the moment quite here yet or not. So I don't want to go into it. But they've, they've made it pretty apparent kind of what's going on here. Yeah. A- anyway, we go back to the doctor. No, no, Neither. no. This is learned. This is the third This is learned. <laughs> this is learned. Learned is basically worried. And uh, he's like, you know, I, I wanted he, he's worried and he's been ignoring calls from Virgo and his wife is like, hey, you know, uh, Virgo says Taggart needs you something about the Sawa people. And, uh, you know, it, it, does it sound important? And basically he's worried because he thinks that the whole company is about to come undone with everything that's happening. So basically he's he's just afraid that the whole thing's going to come undone. Now we're back to Billy. Uh, Billy Ronan has basically found a way to, you know, bring his limbs back together. So he sees the ro- he sees ninjas. We see robots. He's going out and he's basically fighting Virgo. And uh, I love how you like, got- like Virgo's trying to talk to Casey and he's, she's like Casey and she's like, shut up Virgo. I think I'm in love. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's just several more pages of them just fighting on the street. Everyone's trying to take out, um, take out Ronan. Then, uh, then finally, I'm, I'm going to skip ahead a few pages because we're just almost done with this. Yeah, we got the demon they, robots here too. The, the, yeah, the, flying the, the demon, demon robots basically provide aerial support. And at the end of the issue, after a whole bunch of like strafing runs, we see Casey under rubble with blood coming down her head. We think that she's dead. Um, this, is, this is a crazy issue because of all the revelations we've gotten. But that's the end of issue five. What, what are your thoughts on that? It was a lot of stuff to cover. Yeah. I mean, this is like, like I said before, every single issue adds new layers and new twists and turns. And the, I really loved the point. Cause at this point up to now, I, I really thought that Billy was definitely just this Ronin reincarnated, came back through the sword and somehow came into Billy's body. But then when McKenna is breaking this whole thing down to Sandy and, you know, they're really going through and we also see the flashback. We actually see what happened to Billy, which I think was just a super powerful scene. You realize the Ronin is not inside Billy. Like Billy has just created this Ronin and become the Ronin to live out this fantasy, this violent fantasy he has where, and I, I just loved the, the revelation in my mind when, when McKenna was describing this and he's like, Oh, everybody out there with their arms and legs, what do you think he would do in his most violent fantasies? He would chop off all those <laughs> arms and legs exactly as the samurai does exactly as this Ronin does. Every time we see him, he's chopping off arms, legs, heads, everything. And that's when I really had the, like that wow moment where I realized, Oh my God, no, this, this whole, these flashbacks, we're not flashbacks. These are all entirely from Billy's mind. Yeah. And now we're really starting to see the extent of which Billy's powers are, um, especially as we know that, you know, he was basically, you know, a danger to other people um, and that he, he's been rejected by his own mother. So he's a person with immense pain. He is not somebody that you want to mess with, especially, I mean, like we always knew he was dangerous, but it's not just dangerous because of his powers. It's dangerous because he really does intentionally know how to use them. Yep. Indeed. Um, so now we're on to book six. We see that uh, one of 
we see a demon. And this is the thing, because we see things through our view, and then we see things through Ronan's view. So we see a demon crawling towards Casey, who's under the rubble. And uh, Casey quickly wakes up, grabs the sword, and cuts off the head of the demon. And next thing you know, we hear, Casey, 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 like, you no poor problem. thing. You I must be so confused. Like yeah. Um, uh, you, you still uh, must know it's the Ronin who's doing this to you, making you see things, feel things all wrong. And she's just like, yeah, I mean, I know that much. And I think it's basically Virgo talking to it her. Is Virgo, yeah. And yeah, and she basically, now she's seeing things from like the Ronin view, where it's all demons in feudal Japan. Right. And he's like, it's bad for you, Casey, very bad. Come to your senses, girl. You don't know, uh, you don't really think I'm your enemy, do you? Because if I were, and please keep in mind that I'm not saying I am, but <laughs> if I were your enemy, well, darling, you wouldn't stand a chance against me. And next, you know, Virgo comes and like stabs the little robot head and stuff. And he's like, you may be right, Virgo, but I'm coming for him. And I'm coming for you. And- and this is when you realize, like, at first I couldn't believe how easily she t- killed a god. She just chopped off his head like yeah. it was no thing. This is supposed to be the big bad, like, the, you know? And then you realize a god was never the big bad. It, it's always been Virgo. Yeah. And, and now, basically, we see some of the other guys uh, who are working for McKenna. <laughs> We're working for McKenna who are trying to shut off Virgo because the Aquarius complex keeps growing and it's getting crazier. And now uh, Casey's come in and they're just basically like, listen, we got to take Virgo down because some, some bad shit is happening. So they, they go further into the complex. And what we basically see is that, um, you know, they're, they're trying to go ahead and basically disable uh, Virgo. Uh, Now we're at a bar and it's just, um, you know, learned talking more with some of the other staff about what's going on with uh, Dr. McKenna. And everyone's just like, man, like this is getting really creepy. We all know what's going on with the facility. There are robots doing stuff like this is this is all really screwed up. Next thing you know, we go back into the Aquarius Center and we see that Ronan has been encapsulated in I like this giant... I guess that wasn't giant... a got she killed earlier, or maybe it was. It's, it's hard to say. Well, They're all... I think it was meant to make it seem like it was, but yeah. it wasn't. So, so we see Ronan is basically in like this giant tech crystal prison where only his face is exposed and a got comes over in its demon form and starts laughing at him. And he's just like, at last, at last, my most bothersome foe, the time for my vengeance has come. And I must thank you, Virgo. You have delivered him to me. And now I shall toy with him until that final exquisite moment of his death. And, and basically, um, you know, a god is like, hey, you know, he's not phased by anything. Virgo, it seems like he doesn't even notice. And uh, Virgo is like, his mind is elsewhere, Mr. Taggart, even imprisoned. He seeks to aid his lady fair. And he says, Casey, he keeps saying Casey. And basically, Casey is in there, in, in the facility, trying to fight off more of the uh, robot security. And, you know, once again, we see like the giant rat person who guards Agat's castle. So she's fighting uh, you know, a, a version of him. I mean, this is real like Matrix type stuff. It's kind of like that movie Sucker Punch, too, if you ever saw it, where it's like, you know, that real stuff is happening, but other stuff is like in its place because the person's going crazy or whatever. So Casey's basically being like a lone samurai badass cutting through this facility, fighting through everything. And uh, basically, you know, she's she she's the only one that could go ahead and uh, save him. Uh, next thing you know, um, 
someone is messing with Billy's mind and we see this, this one page where it's just, you see word balloons in the darkness. It's just coming out. And basically it's like this echo is lying throughout the facility. So now it's just starting to mess with people who are there. Uh, it's like they're being infected by Billy's, you know, psychic powers almost. So next thing you know, uh, Casey comes out and she sees Peter McKenna and he's just not doing well. And she's like, and he's like, Casey, it's a lie. There's no magic. It's Virgo. She's played us all idiots. And it's the Ronin too. He's not real. And she's like, what do you mean? And he's like, it's not real. He's, he's a fantasy. Billy's fantasy brought to flesh. And basically what's going on here is that Peter's figured it out. What, what has to happen is that in order for all this to end, Billy has to give up the act. And essentially what they try implying a little bit later is that a got it himself is a product of Billy's fantasies that all of this is done for Billy to be a hero. So the only way for Billy to end this is to somehow stop being the Ronin. So what this means is that, you know, for Casey to do that and for Casey to basically help him get out of this, she has to somehow break the fantasy in a really screwed up way that will make him want to give it all up. So now uh, she's being overwhelmed by robots uh, they're all over the place. And next thing you know, um, uh, we're, we're back and we see I'm, I'm skipping a, a few sections because the stuff with learning doesn't matter that much. Um, we, we see a guy is just really upset that, you know, he's bumming Ronan. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, he's just mad. He's like, you know, Ronan's not phased. He's not mentally here. I mean, he's not he's not here. I'm cheated of my vengeance. So what ends up happening is uh, Casey's able to get through. She's fighting more bad guys. And I'm, I'm going to skip ahead a little, a few more. Ba- basically, what ends up happening? Basically, it also seems too like like Agat is just he's all worried about getting his vengeance here and talking to Virgo, and Virgo is just really just like it being reveal, revealing to him that he's basically nothing too. He has no power or anything. He's like, well, you know, if if people, he's basically saying she, she's basically saying like you have to be, uh, you have to go be Taggart now. Like I, I must insist, go go make a statement, Taggart. So she's just controlling. Con- she seems to be controlling Agat at slash Taggart uh, more than anything else. Okay, so so here's what happens. She gets all the way to where the Ronin is, and next thing you know, uh, Agat starts talking, and he's like, ah, lovers reunited. Peter told you where the Ronin really comes from. I heard just I, I heard you know just how foolish you've been. Tell me, Casey darling, how's it feel to be a freak's wet dream? The funniest thing about it all is that you're what keeps the game going and that his power over you has weakened you. Even knowing the truth, you can feel it. So basically she runs over and the Ronin is like, my love, you came for me. She goes and kisses him. And next, you know, a God just keeps taunting them. And, uh, you know, uh, he says, uh, the, the Ronin says, uh, use me, use the blood sword. It can slay the demon, but first it must slay an innocent. Strike me, strike me dead. At least my life's blood will be. And, and she's just tired of all of this. She's like, you know, this isn't real. God's not real. All this is bullshit. And she literally says that. She drops the sword and she's like, Peter said, this is all bullshit. She picks up a gun and she shoots a got through the head. The whole fantasy is down. And at this point, um, you know, the, the Ronin is just like, no, that's not how it's supposed to be. There's something wrong with this. Yeah, and it, and it, it's revealed here. Now we realize after he shot that a got, she says, oh, my God, a robot. Peter was right. So a got this whole time was actually just a robot. Yeah. 
And um, you didn't realize that. I said it, did you? Well, well, I did. I, didn't, I wouldn't describe it that way, but it's basically no, that. She like, says all robot. of this is she basically. Says, oh my god, it's a robot. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that's the robot. It's basically like all of this is a creation of Billy. All of this is basically Billy's fault, basically. And um, to to skip a page, basically, the Ronin won't give up the gimmick at this point. And at one point, Casey smacks him. And uh, he's like, you know, there's only one act left of you worthy samurai. And basically she's just implying that, you know, this whole thing is an act. You couldn't even kill the demon yourself. I don't want to be with you because you're dishonorable. And I had to kill him like you're 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 nothing. But she's doing all this to try. That, and That's the big thing is when he says he says, like, your demon is dead. She's holding his head. And she says, and a woman had to kill him for you. And that's like an, an ultimate dishonor to the samurai that he couldn't he couldn't even do it. It had to be this woman that did it. Yeah. And he's like, um, you know, if you take it, if you've, if you have the courage, basically it's like the only way to redeem yourself is to commit seppuku. So basically he goes ahead and kills himself. But what this does is that, um, this channels basically this giant moment where Billy is basically giving up the gimmick. And he's basically having like this conversation with his mom in his head where he's just like, you know, um, this is all your fault. You said I, I was bad and don't deserve anything. And, you know, I, I don't want to be called bad. I, I want to be something better. So basically, as he kills himself, he blows up the entire complex. And it's you see this massive four-page spread. Basically, Billy's psychic power, because he couldn't comprehend everything. This is another reason that, that to have this one in print, because it's a one-page spread for me. Because yeah, that's how they have to translate it to digital. It, it's it's crazy how 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 they were able to lay this out in print and then how you see it digitally. I, I saw what you threw up just there. Like it's 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 good there, but it's different in print. Basically, uh, Billy has destroyed the entire complex, but you think that him and Casey are dead? No. Instead, you see a fully formed Ronin standing in front of Casey, who is alive, and that is the end of the series. Phew. This has been one of the longest books we ever did, but I was saving it for a day. You know, I'm kind of glad we did this at night. I know I was a bit under the weather. I can't tell who white people are. I'm offending the <laughs> Japanese and nugget people, but my God, Mark, is this story not freaking awesome? It's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. Yeah. I mean, and it's not often that a story can kind of maintain its course while throwing you while constantly throwing you off course but also when you look back the answers were there the whole time that, that's what I, I love about stories that that makes sense they, they don't they don't reveal themselves to you at first but once you get the full reveal the whole thing makes a different kind of sense than it made before because even from the beginning uh, we see the Ronin close in the very first flashback we see the Ronin closing his eyes and the next panel we see Billy's eyes the answers were right there for us the whole time uh, they told us the Ronin is Billy this whole time even in that first conversation with Virgo they're saying oh this is probably just something you saw on TV or something you know something you were dreaming uh, but what we realize is that is true but it was was really Virgo realizing Billy's power and basically assisting in this illusion of 
of Agat and this illusion of the Ronin and pushing Billy into that. Uh, so that's that's all done to see his true capabilities. Yeah. And, it, and it was really Virgo that had basically become sentient and wanted to do all of this to utilize Billy's power to make Aquarius bigger. So that's as we saw Aquarius continuing to grow and grow and grow. Like Virgo has the ability to use the technology, but it's only through channeling Billy's power to basically create, to basically create reality, manipulate, manipulate reality. So while Billy is, is living out this Ronin fantasy live, in person and it, it also I don't know if we really touched on this part like they mentioned at one point that Billy was always kind of obsessed with Casey uh, so again that makes sense as to why he made Casey part of this fantasy part, the object of, of his love the whole time and why and his, he's so powerful with how he can manipulate things um, that I almost seem like WandaVision like Billy wasn't necessarily aware this was happening uh, it, was, it just kind of happened within him and, and his power got completely out of control to the point that he became this Ronin fantasy that he that was created in his mind that was even pushed forward by Virgo uh, so but it, it's not like Billy was Billy was not consciously in control it was kind of like Billy's unconscious had created this this Ronin fantasy that was being played out that Virgo was was pushing along because Virgo needed Billy to be in that fantasy utilizing his power so that Virgo can, could can continue to to continue to grow and become this sort of unstoppable force of its own. And it was only when Casey got Billy to exit the fantasy um, by playing into the fantasy, by being the woman that, that, you know, did what he couldn't do, giving him the ultimate shame. uh, Could they actually break free? Um, So I I think it was just so perfectly done. I, I think the only question I have, but it was still, I think a fitting ending is how, you know, the city blows up, but they're still alive. So did he, did him ending the Ronin fantasy, allow him to live and then become the Ronin again, essentially like, or, or is this like, I don't know, or did I, that, that part's really confusing. I think, I think the Ronin, it's that, that, that little argument he has with like the voice of his mother in mm-hmm. his head. It's like, I'm not bad. I'm not all these things. I think he chose the Ronin because the Ronin's the best version of himself. The Ronin is, is honorable. Right. Yeah. So yeah. he, I think, yeah, he eliminated that particular fantasy and then eliminated Virgo. So that was no longer a threat. They basically blew up everyone in the whole city uh, and probably, I guess, just use his power to save Casey as well as just bring himself back into the form of the Ronin. Because obviously with someone as powerful as Billy, he can kill himself and blow up. And but it's he's you know, he can recreate reality again. So it seems that he just made that conscious decision now. Now that he understood yeah. what was going on and uh, to recreate himself as the Ronin. So I guess that's how you would explain that. Yeah. Yeah. So crazy story. Uh, I want to go ahead and just scream out my, my rating right now, but I'll let you go first. I want to hear what you're going to say. All right. I mean, th- this is, it's man, this is one of those books where I think I'm, I'm like so close to a perfect rating, but I, I'm not going to quite give it just that. Um, let's just start with the art. The art's fantastic. This is, I, I honestly think, and I go back and forth on Frank Miller's art, as I mentioned earlier. It's it's I can always recognize it though. He's just one of those artists. You see a page, you know it's Frank Miller. It's just his style is so uh, so consistent and so concise. But I, I think his, his it just works so perfectly for this particular story. Along as I mentioned with the coloring, the incredible coloring of Lynn Varley. The only reason I can't give it a five is because sometimes there's just a little too much going on. Sometimes he does more than he needs to do. Like when he will do these, these pages where there's like nine panels, but it's actually one image. And I feel like he's just making it nine panels. Cause he just wants to, he just wants to do a weird Frank Miller thing. Or sometimes it's just, there's sometimes too much going on in the art um, to, to always figure out. Like, I think I learned more going back through it the second time that whereas I missed a few things, maybe some de- detail wise the first time. Um, so sometimes it just feels like there's a little too much going on. It's a minor quibble, but it's just enough to keep it from being perfect. So I'm going to give the art a 4.5 in that regard. Uh, And when I come to the story, 
Again, it's very near perfect. Um, but I think there's just some, I feel like it was dragged out a little more longer than it needed to be. Like you said, there's some stuff. It doesn't feel like it matters so much. Some of the stuff with learning, learned, uh, sometimes there's a few pages you can kind of skip over. Um, maybe I don't need nine pages. At a that, time. that was, that was the struggle with this one because it's like, I know I can skip some of this mm-hmm. and, and that's how I do it. Like the, the way that you do episodes, you're very meticulous, meticulous. You have all your notes laid out. I have to physically go through the pages. That's how I'm going to get most of it because I feel like if I don't do that and I do the other thing, I'm going to miss something. So sometimes I might seem a bit sloppy, but I feel like it's the best way I can do it. This felt like a drag in some cases. Yeah. I I mean, I wouldn't go, go that far, but I, I, I just think, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a story that I don't know, like in my, my version is 277 pages. It probably could have been 250. So, you know, I think there's just a little more than needed to be there. Um, but it felt so epic too. You know, it, the whole thing felt like a true epic, man, I want to see this in a movie. Uh, anyway, I, I'm going to just much like the art. It's extremely good. There's just a little, it's a little short of perfect. So I'm going to give the writing a 4.5 for a grand total of nine. Excellent, 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 excellent story. Just falls short of being, you know, a perfect on, on either end. This is so weird because like every episode you and I do not go over what we think our ratings are going to be, which is I don't even think of my rating until we get to the point where we do our ratings. Cause I want it to be just whatever comes out. I had actually thought of my rating before this and I, I shit you not Mark for the art. I'm giving it a 4.5 because I think issues four, five and six there, there are some areas where it's just like, this just gets kind out. I don't know if it's lazy or if I'm just not appreciating certain ways that they're laying out the panels about, I don't like the way that they do just complete black shading in the areas and where some people, you can't really tell who they are. Issues four, five and six were kind of hard with that. Um, you know, so that makes it a little bit difficult. And then, you know, for the story, it's great. I think, it gets lost in the dialogue sometimes, which is so funny because you can go through a three, four page action sequence and not have any dialogue. But it's those areas where it's just kind of like, you know, speed bumps you, it gets difficult. So I'm giving the story a 4.5. So I'm, I'm giving it a nine as well. All right. Look at that. We're perfectly in sync. Uh, that still brings it to a total SPC score of 18 out of 20. It's a definite read. It's a it's a must absolute absolute read. So I would actually recommend. Usually I'm you know I'm I'm a defender of the digital versions of books. Um, this is a case where I would say having read the read it only one time on the digital version. I really now want to go back and read the physical copy. I mean, look look at that. Look at that beautiful cover. It's about an inch and inch and a half thick in binding, yeah. and it comes with a whole additional section in here that I don't know if you can get in the uh, in in the digital version. This one is a must have in your library if you're a Frank Miller fan. Yeah, I think I'm going to I'm going to make this uh put this on my purchase list. So Cause yeah, awesome. just, just for, especially for some of those panels that I know were supposed to be two page spreads and are for you and are not for me. I feel a little bit robbed of some of some of the, some of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I can, well, I had a few complaints about the story, but they're, they're extremely minor and they're kind of quibbles to be honest. Um, but I, I can't recommend this. Well, I can recommend this highly more highly cause I've rated stuff slightly higher, but I, I highly, highly recommend this, this book. The sure. difference between a nine and a 10 is technicality. It really is. Really? Yeah. Sure. Well, that's about it, folks. If you've hung around this long, uh, you're a real trooper. Um, we do this for you out of pure passion. And if you can't get enough of either of us, please, we do this public show, this long form show for everybody in the world. But for those special ones out there that really just want to go ahead and really dive deep into what we're doing, check us out on space. On, I was about to say space Patreon, Patreon, Patreon.com slash second print pod for Claire continues tales from the fuck it pile. 
Remso versus the MCU, Remso Rants, and now we're currently doing um, Loki recaps with our friends Caleb Franz and Dan Samatz. Bringing in the whole crew for this one. <laughs> Everyone, because it's that epic. Mark, anything else? I think that's about it. Just a reminder, if you're listening and you're not a patron, for $5 a month, not only do you get everything that Remzo just mentioned, if you're the next one, you're going to get Extreme Sacrifice 1 and 2 mailed to you. That's over... That's actually over a $5 cover price in 1993 prices, my friends. You really can't beat that. Absolutely. Well, as always, folks, there's only one thing left to do. Read comics and what, Mark? Change the world. Change the world. Good night, America. Adios. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.